yippity doo dah. Hello, folks. Hello. Back again. It's Jacob's Film Perspectives. Back with another one. I wish I had the DJ Khaled another one. Another like. one. But we're here today to talk about the greatest year films mm. since I don't know. I'm just kidding. It's it's been a, it's it was a great year of films. 2023. It's been a great year of films. We're talking about our top five films of 2023. All three of us. We all have different lists, so this will be fun. Good discourse between each other. We got Deontay the Giant, the sexy boy right here. Yeah. in Network. Mm. As well as me too. And then we got our buddy Nick. Let's go. Showing his face because he has the horrible case of chicken pox. No, I'm just kidding. Man. I have shingles too. It's it's terrible. Yeah, shingles, chicken pox, the whole shebang. But we are going to, I guess, talk about honorable mentions. Do you guys want to do that first? Uh, would you like to, to, to play that glorious theme song? Oh my gosh, I almost forgot. Yeah, let's play the let's let's hit it with the theme. Showtime. Such a beautiful, beautiful intro. Beautiful. Thank you so I love it. Nerds making that Absolutely. beautiful intro. Absolutely. Makes me, feels my ego beyond comparison. But let's go with honorable mentions. And uh, my honorable mentions, I'll just rattle them off here because I don't want to be looking at my phone this whole episode and I, I'm going to forget them. So I have my letterbox pull up. Also, if you want to follow me on letterbox, it's Jacob Smith 9817. That's my letterbox. If you guys want to stalk me on letterbox, I rate movies on there when I watch them. Mm. But here we go. Uh, honorable mentions for 2023 for Jacob. Uh, let's go. Iron Claw. Almost made the list. Oh, it was on the top five there. for Yeah. Almost made the list. Iron Call, A24, great film. You might see that on a post tomorrow on my Instagram. Uh, Godzilla Minus One. Let's go. Mm -hmm. The good stuff. Yeah, there's Iron Call. Godzilla yeah. Minus One. Such an underrated film. Great Japanese. Best Godzilla film I've seen, honestly. Yes, uh, let's go here. The Killer, David Fincher uh, on Netflix. Great film. Another literally me character that I can relate to in a weird way. Sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> Saltburn. Another little literally me character. On You guys can go watch that on Amazon Prime now. Saltburn may be on that post tomorrow, too. Let's just say there are, there's a murder on the dance floor with that one. If you, if you know, you know. Uh, Ferrari. Michael Mann. You know, it's one of my favorite directors, so I'm going to throw that in there. I'm, I'm going to show my Michael Mann love every time I can. Mm -hmm. uh, Barbie, of course. I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a feminist if I didn't say Barbie, so I have to say Barbie. Uh, uh, no, nah, but really, Barbie's amazing. That's probably going to be on the top ten as well. Queen shit. 
Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Ooh. Love the Mission Impossible franchise. Anatomy of a Fall. Great film by Neon. Great uh, French film. Bo is Afraid. Another A24. A new Ari Aster. It was great. And then to round it off. Oh, I got a few. I got three more. I thought I only had one more. Air. Air. Great film about the making of the first Air Jordan. Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck directed Bottoms, which is a hilarious comedy. That was I was I didn't think I'd like it all, but Bottoms was great. Go check probably the best comedy of the year is Bottoms. Guardians Volume Three, best MCU movie in a while, and then Past Lives is the last one there. Oh no, actually Past Lives and Sanctuary are the last two right there. Past Lives, another A twenty four. You'll probably be seeing that on my top ten next. Uh, tomorrow when I post it on Insta and then uh, what else did I say? Oh my gosh, what was I saying, guys? See, it was that was that uh, you were going through like your honorable mentions list? Yeah, yeah okay. it was past lives and what else was it? You past lives. Oh, sanctuary, sanctuary. Okay. Yeah, sanctuary. by Neon, a great, great tight thriller in one room, basically run for most of the movie one room location film. But yeah, that's my honorable mentions. Does anybody else? I know Nick is going to give his a little bit later, but does Deontay here have his honorable mentions ready? I I, I got a couple of them uh, right off the bat. Uh, Evil Dead Rise, which most people don't remember, that came out in 2023. Oh man, as a horror fanatic, I can't discriminate. Um, I, I have such a wide variety of horror movies that on, on my honorable mentions list. Uh, my, my, you'll, 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 you'll only see like one on my top five, but uh, as far as my honorable mentions go, Evil Dead Rise, uh, incredible movie. Uh, what was that? Thanksgiving. <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving was definitely like standard slasher film and it, it, it checked all the boxes for me so it it, it it gets a pass and hopefully the sequel is just as fun um thanksgiving uh the nun 2 was okay it, it wasn't it wasn't the best horror film of 2023 but it got me uh from start to finish just to go to the theater and enjoy a good uh jump in your seat type of film and um what is another good honorable mention? Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. I have, I still have not seen that one. I still, man, there's so much hype around it. It wouldn't make your honorable mentions. Man. <laughs> Honestly, like, I'm going to be real right now. I think two films I really enjoyed from last year that are probably realistically some of the worst films to come out in, in, in like the past five years for the Winnie the Pooh horror movie and the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. The Winnie the Pooh horror movie was so stupid. It was so funny. I'm honestly yeah. excited for the sequel because the budget is like bumped up a ton. But the Five Nights at Freddy's movie had good lore, had good Easter eggs. Really excited to see how that's going to play out in the future. Man. I, I, maybe I should give it a chance. Uh I was on my queue list. I was going to watch Saltburn and then I was going to watch Winnie the Pooh. Uh, those are the two movies that I knew, like, I can't end the year without seeing them. 
fortunately it's already 2024 but i still got time so uh yeah evil dead rise thanksgiving uh none to uh exorcist believer despite uh popular beliefs about or popular opinion about the movie but uh yeah th those those would be my uh honorable mentions off the top of my head okay well now that you mention it for my worst film of 2023 <laughs> exorcist believer by a landslide worst film i saw worst new film i saw in 2023 i'll say that actually probably Worst film I've seen in 2023. Worse than Napoleon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Napoleon. I would never watch Exorcist Believer ever again. That movie is <laughs> garbage. I, I hope I become known for hating that movie. Uh, that's my... I want to die with that legacy. But let's... Uh, yeah, that's the worst. But okay, let's get into it, guys. Let's... Uh, All right. Who wants to go first? I, don't, I can't go first because I'm... That makes me narcissistic. It looks cool oh. <laughs> on my show for me to go first. So when do you go first? Which one? Nick, you, you want me to go? Um, if uh, sure, yeah, that's fine. If you if you want to. Alrighty. Uh, my number five is the Boogeyman, twenty twenty three, and out of all the horror movies I just mentioned in my honorable mentions, that's probably the one horror movie that stood out the most. And uh, I, I just fell in love with it. Um, I, I, it's just maybe my opinion or, or whatever, but uh, the story from start to finish was just traditional uh, horror film aspect. They got straight to it. Uh, it's based off a Stephen King book that I have not read yet. But oh my God, if you guys are looking for a thrill, this is the movie for you. Um, I am going to add this to my list of horror films in my my Halloween marathon of every year from here on out. Um, and there's been a couple Boogeyman movies that's been out before, but this is probably one of my favorites. And uh, I, I honestly, I could watch this this movie over and over again. So brutal. Uh, it's 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 not what it's not like run of the mill like you predict everything and uh you already know what's going to happen next but uh I, I i still got a good shares out of it i went into it with a fresh mind and i, I had a blast okay uh my thought on boogeyman is uh i guess we can discourse here uh the boogeyman i mean uh, a lot of people loved it more than I did. I loved it. Come, I liked it coming out of the theater, but I forgot about it completely, honestly, until you just Man. said it. But I mean, teach their own on that one. But yeah, I will agree. I can't agree on that. It does have some good scares. And uh, if it wasn't for that third act for me, I think it would have been a lot higher. But yeah, Boogeyman, a really good, at least watch it once, at least try it out. Like, definitely go support the filmmakers there because it, they do some unique stuff with the camera and, uh, there's a few memorable things I can actually think about now that I think about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Elite horror movies are like rare, man. So you find an elite horror movie, hold on to that shit for dear life. And <laughs> uh, in my opinion, this is just a one level below like an elite film, like hereditary or freaking midsummer. This is so close. Like the book boogeyman probably was a great book that got adapted and I feel like the, if it was adapted uh, properly, the, then hats off to the director of this movie. 
Well, like one thing about the Boogeyman is I, I believe it was one of the first films we talked about on here. I'm pretty sure it was. But one thing about the Boogeyman is it's based off a short story by Stephen King, stuff like an actual like book. Yeah. And when short stories get adapted, that's where a lot of the more drastic changes compared to his books come from. Because all of his books, except for like, I think three are like a thousand something pages. And there's a lot of source material to work with there. Of the yeah. short stories, they really have to like expand a lot of the details to actually make it a film instead of like versus a short film. So that's one thing to like look at look at whenever you go and watch the boogeyman. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Especially the monsters, man. It's, oh it's it's not often you get like a really good and original monster. Um most people have their own iterations of the boogeyman. That iteration of the boogeyman chills down your spine. All right, so number five, Deontay, Boogeyman. Okay, you go next, Nick. I'll go last on this one. All right, I got you. So my number five is Haunted Mansion. And right off the bat, I will say I grew up watching the OG Haunted Mansion a ton. I love that movie. And I will say that that movie is better than the current one that came out. But at the same time, I do have a very, very soft spot for... Disney movies based off their attractions. When it comes to Disney, I'm not like a mainstream guy. I like looking at like the more obscure genres, if you will. I feel like Haunted Mansion belongs in that genre of films that are based off the rides. Because I feel like the Disney rides, all, a majority of them, had they have cool original characters. And a lot of them could be their own movies one day. But Ooh. going into the Haunted Mansion, I went in with high expectations. I wasn't disappointed. But I wasn't like amazed because at the end of the day, the Disney movies that are based off the rides, it's kind of like the thing with the Boogeyman where they're working with very, 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 very limited, like I'm talking maybe one page, 1D like lore. So they have to expand on all this stuff, which I get. I'm And I'm honestly fine with that. You can see that with the first Haunted Mansion. You can see that in the, I think the Jungle Cruise movies with Dwayne Johnson. Mm. So I have nothing against them for that aspect because I personally feel like making a movie based off a theme park attraction is one amazing feat when there's like a lack of lore and stuff like that. I think one thing I really do like about the movie, the performance wise, um, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Jamie Lee Curtis, amazing performances, a good characters. They were funny. I'm honestly glad to see Owen Wilson again because I feel like the last time I saw him, he was that teeny tiny cowboy dude. Um, and so like, I'm really glad to see him again and something. Danny DeVito again. I feel like I haven't seen him in a minute. So I'm glad to see him again. I'm glad to see Jamie Lee Curtis in something that's not Halloween related. Because I feel like outside of Knives Out, our generation is lacking a lot of non-Halloween Jamie Lee Curtis material. So I was really glad to see her in something like that. I will say that Jared Leto, I will openly say I do not think he's a good actor, but I do like his performance in Haunted Mansion. I feel like some people probably disliked it, but I think one of those things is like I walked in, I saw and I knew it was going to be in there. I did not have high hopes again. It wasn't an amazing performance, but was it the worst? And visually, the movie was good, in my opinion. It stuck true to a lot of the stuff that dealt with the ride. 
in my opinion, and not a lot of nice little Easter eggs here and there. And I'm honestly really, I'm really hoping they continue um, this trend of like Disney movies based off rides. Like I would love to see um, another Haunted Mansion movie, maybe a sequel, maybe a continuation where the characters from the first from the first movie and this movie meet. So overall, kind of whenever I left the theater, I would say I gave it like a seven or a six mentally in my head. It's something I would like to buy on DVD one day. It, it, but it also, it's one of those movies where I might throw on just for comfort or just to have playing in the background while I'm like cleaning or something. So yeah, Haunted Mansion is my number five, but it's it, but it was still a very good movie in my opinion. Yeah, I I, get, I definitely might give it a chance if I catch it on like a, a streaming service. Um, I, I I wasn't in in like how do I say this a sense of urgency to go to see it in theaters. So I, I if it's like on HBO Max or whatever, then I'll probably check it out for the holidays this upcoming year and added to like the marathon yeah uh for me i mean i saw i saw this one in theaters as well uh actually went and saw it with my mom because uh the original haunted mansion is one of my childhood nostalgia classics it's it people i know it has like terrible rotten tomatoes and terrible critics eddie murphy kills it in that movie the original haunted mansion i had all the mcdonald's toys when it came out i was like I remember when that movie came out like that. That's good times for me. So it brought back up that nostalgia. I agree with Nick on that. And just seeing Owen Wilson, and Danny DeVito again, and it was just nice because like you don't really see them in movies like you used to. And uh, yeah, it was one of those movies I kind of forgot about. Like I forgot about it came out this year. But like when I'm when I think about it, I really did like it. Like I think I gave it like a B plus actually. Like like I gave it a very good grade. Like it's it's definitely. And it's a great segue horror film for kids. Like if you oh, yeah. want to get kids into horror films, I feel like this is like a perfect one to show them to like warm them up to like more serious ones. And I agree with the Jared Leto thing. I really like the Hatbox Ghost. Uh, I thought that was a cool. Uh, the the CGI was actually really good on that. And uh, yeah, overall, uh, yeah. At first when uh, I saw this pick by Nick, I kind of laughed, but. The more I think about it, like, yeah, that actually was a really good movie. Ooh. Like, I'm not even gonna hate. Like, that actually, that's yeah. that it, that's a solid number five pick for sure. Uh, shout out to Adam Smith, real quick. He's in the comments. Uh, he says, "Knock at the cabin" is an honorable mention of his that he doesn't see talked about often enough. Uh, the best Shyamalan movie in a really long time. I agree with that. I agree with Adam on that completely. Knock at the cabin, absolutely. Uh, that's another. I watched it like in when it came out in February, so I I forgot it came out this past year because it'd been so long ago. But yeah, that's a great film. Uh, really underrated. It kind of went under the radar. Nobody really talked about it, but I loved I loved it in theaters. I had a few issues with it, but overall, yeah, Knock at the Cabin, great one. Yeah. Sure. My personal opinion about like just movies overall, 2023, is because I feel like we keep saying how a lot of these movies went under the radar, they were overlooked. And I personally feel like that the whole hype around Oppenheimer and Barbie kind of like casted a shadow with all the yeah. other movies, like especially the ones that came before Barbie and Oppenheimer. And then after that, like I feel like a lot of the other movies were just kind of like 
so-so to some extent, you know, in people's eyes. And I like I personally feel like if Barbie and Oppenheimer were not released last year, that a lot of other movies would have had a bigger chance to shine because the only other movie I can think of that even had close to the impact as those two did was the Super Mario movie. And like, again, that was very brief too. That was very, very brief. Mm-hmm. And great reviews for it too. I was impressed myself. So it's like, God, man. 2023 just belonged to Cillian Murphy and Margot Robbie, I guess. Amen. Amen. <laughs> they deserve it. Absolutely. All right. I guess it's my number five. Uh, the Big Pop is number five. Oh, man. Is a little film. I don't know if you've heard of it. Cross the Spider-Verse. Cross the Spider-Verse. Yes. And this this was a late pick. This came in actually today. This wasn't even in my top five until like an hour before the show. But the more I thought about it, this film, if you're a Spider-Man fan, I've been a Spider-Man fan since I was a baby, obviously. Grew up with the Tobey Maguires, obviously. I'm that age. And uh, this movie was such a love letter to all Spider-Man fans. And like, even if you, like even for me anyway, the more I think about it, if you're a Spider-Man fan, I don't know how this cannot be in your top five or at least top ten of the year because it's just such a love letter to, like, everything Spider-Man is. And, like, you know, it goes over how Spider-Man has to have a tragedy for, you know, like, part of his arc. And then Miles tries to fight that. And just him, that scene where he's like, everybody keeps trying to tell me what I what I uh, should be or whatever. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to do whatever my own thing yeah yeah now i'm gonna do my own thing that yeah. was one of my favorite scenes in theaters this year like i can relate to that in my personal life and like it's just such a good universal message and then it just the, just into the spider-verse was already great i feel like this expanded upon it and i, I would pick this over into the spider-verse honestly because like spider-man 2099 coming in oscar isaac voicing him i mean you see thirst trap for tiktok <laughs> Like, he is, like, a new, like, fan favorite. And, like, the soundtrack by Metro Boomin was amazing. I listened mm. to the soundtrack for, like, two months until, like, two months after the movie came out. And I still have some of the songs downloaded to my phone. So, like, I feel like it was a big, before Oppenheimer and Barbie, it came out, like, a month before. And I feel like it had a big cultural little impact there until Oppenheimer and Barbie. It was one of the other ones that kind of once Oppenheimer and Barbie got forgotten about. But before that, it was probably the, one of the biggest movies of the year along with Super Mario Brothers. But yeah, if you're a true Spider-Man fan, I mean, I don't know how you cannot love this. Movie. Like, it is so, so good. It gives so much respect to the character Spider-Man and what that character is and the sacrifices Spider-Man always has to make in any universe. You get to see all the I mean, you can watch it a thousand times and you won't catch all the cameos and stuff that are going crazy on the screen. The animation is insane. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Like, animation. Beautiful. Just like, I don't even like animated films that much. Like, it's one of the animated films and like musicals are probably my two least favorite that I watch the least. And like, for this to be in my top five, that means it had to be astronomical. Like, it is, it is, and it is astronomically good. Like, it is a, it's a five out of five for me, A plus. Like, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I love it. I mean, just a great, great film. So, yeah, that's yeah. my number five. 
my my across the spider verse is a little bit higher but man it it i think is it on your list too nick uh no um it it is not is not so it's like two out of three of us that's that's saying something it is uh, well like i would say that like it would it easily makes my top 10 mm -hmm. because i saw the original spider-verse movie when it came out like a couple years ago i think 2016 17 was it i'm trying to remember 2018 2018 yeah. yes, 2018 yes and i liked it and like i will say one thing about uh the spider-verse movie is well like first off i'm kind of like the opposite of jacob where i love animated movies like claymation computer animated hand drawn i love that stuff yeah. But just to think that, like, all the, a group of artists had to, like, draw all these cameos from, like, the OG source material and, like, find all these really, really obscure Spider-Men throughout, like, the Marvel comics. I was just in awe the entire time. Like, truthfully, like, I left the theater, like, just in awe of, like, just all the cameos by themselves. And what's funny is they're actually characters that were not included like they were going to be included like different spider-men and stuff like that but none of but like they cut them last minute probably for like budget and time and all that but just the fact like it was just such an impressive movie to me yeah it, it really is a love letter to spider-man fans and it's just a straight up spider-man movie in general that is all the ingredients that you need for just a traditional spider-man movie and then the writers decided to go above and beyond and then give us more attention to detail with Miles and his relationship with his mom and dad. So we got to see like a, a whole lot of wholesome stuff going on to let you know how strong their relationship is. And we just didn't breeze right through their relationship straight to the action like, mo like most live action films does. So the, the way that they cared for this animated film is the way Sony should be caring for their live action. It is what it is. Uh, the the, th the third part of the trilogy comes out this year, I believe. So we're just waiting on more advertisement for that. And my ass will definitely be in that theater to catch the the, the big finale. And another thing that people I'll add here at the end is a lot of people are, I saw that's like the main complaint for the movie is, oh, it's just part one. Like, how can you like it ends it doesn't really have an ending it's just part one so we got to see part two before we say this is like, like a great movie no screw all that and th this is a great movie on its own yes it does have an open ending but it ends enough where like it is satisfying as one movie like i walked out of the theater feeling completely satisfied and like i, I just saw that criticism coming up a lot in different reviewers and like different reviews i read like oh the ending is so unsatisfying you know it just cuts off and like yeah, it cuts off and it does have an open ending, but it's it was satisfying enough to me. Like it still, it ends the arc it was telling for like uh, Gwen Stacy. Like it it kind of was more about her story if you really think about it, it and really like it, it perfectly wraps that up. And like the Miles Morales, well, yeah, we're gonna get more in part two, obviously, but like it has a, it's satisfying enough to stand on its own. I think. Yeah, it started with Gwen and it ended with Gwen. And that's that's how you put that shit in a bow and <laughs> yeah. wrap that gift up. All right, so number four for Deontay. My number four is a tie, and it's the only tie a that tie. we have. 
It is Barbenheimer. So both Barbie and Oppenheimer because I couldn't. Uh, well, I, I love these movies to death. Uh, I, I preferably like Barbie almost more than Oppenheimer, which some people would probably be like, boy, what? But uh, Oppenheimer was incredible. My favorite director uh, directed Oppenheimer, uh, all-star cast. Uh, what, what, what else can I say? Uh, all-star cast for Barbie, too. So uh, these were two movies that released on the exact same Friday. And everybody was just like, we're going to catch both of these no matter what. And I'm glad everybody showed up and showed out for that. Uh, these movies deserved all the hype. Uh, Barbie, Margot Robbie... Uh, Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling's uh, one of their one of my favorite performances from them ever. Uh, I, I I don't go way way back with Ryan Gosling, but Margot Robbie I loved her since Wolf of Wall Street, and uh, Ryan Gosling I would have to say my favorite role of his probably be Driver. Uh, so I, I, I honestly he showed up as Ken. He was hilarious. Uh, there are some positive messages in the undertones of everything that was happening. And um, if you haven't seen this movie yet, you're wrong. Like you, you should at least give it one chance. Uh, it is worth all the hype. Uh, there are some cringy parts in there, but it's supposed to be cringy. It's supposed to be a slightly cheesy movie. You got Kate McKinnon in it and she's cracking whatever jokes that she feels like. And um, you, you, you don't really go for for something serious with this film um, and then you even get a little history about the the mattel company as well so i thought that was awesome oh um well with that ends it for barbie but for oppenheimer i will give it this props because i went into the movie knowing absolutely nothing about this uh anything that this movie was about uh i i found out oppenheimer was just the last name of the main character, who is one of the most famous scientists of all time, and the guy that's basically the father of the, the atom bomb. And if you didn't know anything about him now, you need to check out Oppenheimer so you can learn more about him. I don't know how accurate this movie was supposed to be, but uh, see, seeing an actor portray the role of Albert Einstein, who was like, uh, not really a close friend of Oppenheimer, but a, a colleague and kind of mentored him a little bit too. And I thought that was really awesome. Uh, it shows like a personal side of Oppenheimer, his relationship drama, uh, the fact that he has a one main hater that's, that's out to uh, make him lose all his credibility. And then, then you have the, the situation where the atom bomb got made into a weapon and it was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So uh, so you get to see all of that in this three-hour film. And it's worth your time. I was going to let Nick go. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. So um, I, my number four. Well, not, not, not yet, Nick. Oh, not not yet. We're talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer here, buddy. He was, oh, so, like, my thing is Oppenheimer is – higher up on the list for me so do you just want me to talk about barbie are you yeah well i mean it's the same thing for me oppenheimer is also higher up on my list so let, we'll go, me and yeah. nick will go in on barbie okay barbie yeah. was one of those movies okay. when the trailer a teaser trailer 
first image is whatever got announced. I immediately wanted to see it. Gosling and Robbie, they're some of my favorite um, modern day actors and actresses. I feel like Ryan Gosling has a lot, a lot, and I mean a lot of hidden gems out there. Like one thing I want to do, I want to get some of his earlier movies and watch them because one one of his movies I watched last year, it's I, I'm gonna butcher the title so bad. It's like it has like pines in it, like this way is the pines. The place beyond the pines. Yes, that one. I watched that one. That one, yes. that one that was a really good one. And Robbie again, Wolf of Wall Street classic. Yeah. I I honestly think she does an amazing Harley Quinn. And I do believe she's defined the character for probably the next 20 years, in my opinion. But Barbie, but Barbie is one of those movies where, like, right off the bat, I loved it. Set design was amazing. The tone, I felt the tone was good. And there were cringy moments, but I believe, but I think they were supposed to be cringy on purpose, you know? Right. Um, some like the jokes were good, the characters were good. John Cena, Michael Sarah, amazing performances. Honestly, mm-hmm. my favorite characters from the movie. The music was good, the message was good. And I liked how kind of like borrowed different influences from other films, like the Truman Show to some extent and Space Odyssey with the opening and all that. Yeah. I liked one thing I really, really liked about it, and this is gonna be a really weird thing and why I liked it, is I liked how they did not try to set up like a weird cinematic universe at the end you know they could easily had like a scene with her walking to the doctors and like the rock'em socket robots would be there and like all some other toy characters but they went a different route which i'm really really happy about but again i do feel like it was a really really good really good movie really interesting um it is in my top 10 not my top five because looking at some of the other movies that came out, I, I, I would just have to put it in my number six spot, honestly. But I do think Barbie was a very good movie. I believe it and Oppenheimer did live up to the hype completely. Yeah. And, and, those, and that's my thoughts on Barbie. And I, I'm really excited to see how the franchise moves forward after this. And let's just, let's just like give credit to like, what Barbenheimer did for theaters, man. People talking about theaters dying. People talking about, you know, people don't want original films anymore. And yes, Barbie is based off of a IP, but it is in a way an original film off of that IP. And uh, just like, you know, everybody, you know, you heard that for years, you know, the MCU kind of controlled the theaters and then everybody showed up for Barbenheimer. I remember going to, I, I did it. I saw both of them twice in theaters. I did Barbie and Oppenheimer and then Oppenheimer and Bar. I did both. I watched uh, Barbie first in Oppenheimer, then I watched Oppenheimer, then Barbie. I did both ways, but I double featured them twice. And like every time I went, there's, you know, young girls dressed up in pink. Like everybody, every girl was wearing pink and like, you know, Oppenheimer dudes wearing suits and stuff. And it's just like, it was great seeing people like be interactive with the theater experience and like see all these people out here, you know, wearing pink for Barbie and the everything. And just like being into the theater experience. And that was like, the most I've seen since maybe in game. Yeah. Honestly, like just it kind of it kind of like especially after you know the pandemic and all that, it just it kind of brought people back to theaters really, really strongly. And uh yeah, like Barbie, I guess I'll touch on it since it, it is in my top ten as well. It's not in my top five. It was like my number two when I saw it. 
but some great movies have come out and some reflection. It's fallen down. I've seen it three times now. I watched it at home as well. And uh, it's fallen down a little bit in my grading, but I still absolutely love it. Like, it's such a rewatchable film. It is uh, Ryan Gosling's my favorite actor of all time. Yeah. And like, I, I've probably seen, I've seen most of his movies. There's, I think, three of his movies I have not seen. And the rest I've seen every single one. And uh, this is one of his best supporting roles for sure uh him him as ken stole the movie for me i know that's you know i know it's more about you know women and stuff but him as ken just i related to ken a little too much yeah i don't want to dive into that i don't want to that's for you, therapy that's for my counselor or therapist but you are enough let's just say i am enough and <laughs> I, I, I even bought the hoodie i even bought that hoodie from Mattel, like I was so big on Barbie, and I, I still am. I love it. The soundtrack is still slaps. I'm just Ken still hits. I mean, Ryan Gosling is such a talent, but Margot Robbie, amazing. Nobody could have played Barbie like her. She's the perfect Barbie, and I love how they even joke at that in the movie. Yeah, just great satire. A few overly preachy moments for me, but other than that, just great comedy and it, it just it it honestly it, it just made me laugh like a, like Ryan Gosling just made me laugh every time he was on scene and I related to Ken way too much I'll say it again but like yeah Barbie great film I could easily see why it's in anybody's top five of the year I would you know, like it, it deserves it Greta Gerwig such a great director by the way Noah Baumbach writer they're mm -hmm. such a good duo they're married in real life and it's such a good duo and like yeah it's just just such a well-written script and uh just a great movie and yeah I rock with that. Barbie. so i guess we're it's nick's time for number four yes uh my number four is honestly going to be vhs 85 yeah. and I, I think i think i said this in a past episode the vhs is one of my favorite horror movie franchises of all times and in my personal opinion they do not have a bad movie. Like, I have seen bad segments, but I have not seen bad movies. I love and that poster. Oh, the poster is one of the best ones, in my opinion. And honestly, the movie, it just captured, like, a gritty 80s aesthetic similar to the poster. And But VHS 85, and I think one thing why I like this movie is it, it did not really do anything new, and I like that because the whole basic frame of VHS movies is, you know, people find these tapes, there's like a overarching frame narrative, then they have the segments. And, and and the segments, these segments were just really, really like out there, in my opinion. The first segment really gave me vibes of the one um, Lake story from, I think it was one of the creep show movies where the Ooh. kids go there and there's like that weird oil spill blob thing. It gave me vibes of that because that segment involved like a supernatural lake. And then there was one segment that dealt with um, some mythology, a, a god of the underworld from Aztec mythology. And I really liked that because I think in the previous VHS movie, they had a god of the underworld from like Finnish mythology. So I'm really glad they're keeping some similar elements like that in there. But overall, like the VHS 85, like it was, Again, pretty much the same thing I'm used to, you know, scares, gore, very graphic, very over the top segments. But at the same time, it like I like that. 
like i know one thing we see on this channel is a lot a lot is we like these horror movies that kind of like try something new and all that but at the same time i like the horror movies like vhs 85 that really don't try something new they might right. change some elements but they keep the main stuff in there and i really like one thing i like about vhs the franchise overall is how they keep going like backwards in some way because i think the previous movie that was said like in 1999 like right before like the new year then the decade and century and all that good stuff so I, i'm just really excited to see how this franchise is going to move forward now and if i had to but if i had to rake all the vhs movies this one would be in the middle the second one is my favorite and i think a lot of that's new with nostalgia but vhs 85 it's an amazing movie i would honestly watch it again every day if i could like that's how much i liked it as a horror movie and and it's just like one of those movies where it's not like terrifier where it's obviously trying to make you like uncomfortable where it's obviously like hey you know like, look at these kills look at art the clown it's not like the wayne the pooh movie where it's like so where it's so bad they're trying to make it good mm -hmm. but not like an a24 movie where they're where it's just loaded with like grief and like deep emotional stuff the vhs 85 in my opinion was very straightforward they find these tapes spooky stuff happens there's spooky stuff on the tapes a lot of people die and overall like i like that i feel like we do need those types of movies but vhs 85 is my number four and i would highly suggest it to anyone and i would suggest the entire franchise too yeah honestly it sounds like this movie would be leading the charge on like traditional uh cursed cursed object films because um uh, I, I i grew up with the ring and uh movies like that and i i enjoyed them for uh maybe not as much now as an adult but it, shutter shutter used to be my go-to app for everything horror and I, I I regret not getting into the VHS uh, franchise, but uh, it, from the way that you describe it, it sounds like it's going to be leading leading the charge for. So if they keep the series going, then it'll lead the charge for other horror films that do like cursed objects that kill people. So I can rock with that. I like uh, and I I like the. Uh, I'm not. I haven't watched many of them, but I do like some horror anthologies. I really like a uh, cat's eye is a great uh horror anthology stephen king a great one uh that one and trick or treats the best one obviously for me but uh cat's eye so i do like horror anthology stories and uh i've seen the vhs franchise since i was in high school i think the first one came out like 2013 maybe 2014. right nick Ooh. Oh yeah, i yeah i believe the first one came out right about around that time period because that's when like there was a horror movie anthology like revival yeah. because the first vhs came out and the first abc's of death came out around the same time i believe i remember it being talked about and uh i just haven't watched them yet i need to get into them uh i know they showed it like at i think it was like fantastic fest is what it's called they showed it at some festival and it did really well there and then it went to shutter and uh yeah, I've used Shudder a few times to watch some horror movies. I watched uh, 
just shout out to Shutter for a second. They're a, that's a really if you're into horror, that's probably the best streaming service for just if you're a horror fan because they have so much like niche things and like they have like movies like uh, like exclusives like uh there's a movie called Possession that came out in 1980 I want to say insane movie like crazy movie it it's like. Yeah, crazy. I won't get into the possession. That's a whole nother. That'd be a whole. That could be a whole episode <laughs> in of itself. But yeah, just Shutter great and what Nick was talking about, like the VHS. I I do like the idea of like 1999 and making it like that. And then now we're in the 80s. I love anything. I love 80s aesthetic. I love synth music. Anything yeah. You you get me with the 80s lighting, 80s movies. 80s is one of my favorite decades because of just the lot, just the way the films were. So like that just intrigues me in and of itself, and I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, movies like um, It Follows, which is eighties based, and then you got horror TV shows like Stranger Things. It's like it, we're we're kind of spoiled with with that genre. So I, I can right. I can live with that. I guess my number four is I'm thinking I'm back. John Wick Chapter Four. That was a terrible oh, man. That was a terrible impression. <laughs> but, uh, that's why I'm a film major and not an acting major. But John Wick <laughs> Chapter Four. This was this movie was the first movie of 2023 that I loved. I literally before this movie. I mean, it came out in February, so it was early to be fair. But when it came out, 2023 started out on a whimper for me. It was just like. Not great movies. I wasn't feeling nothing. And then I went and saw this movie in theaters. And my God, this movie sparked my love for filmmaking again. Like, I, I felt like I was kind of burnt out. I, had, I was going through some stuff. And I was just kind of like, man, just questioning filmmaking. And, like, if I want to stay in the filmmaking realm, if that's what I want to do. And I know that sounds cheesy because you're like, John Wick's just a dumb action film. And, yes, it's a dumb action film. But the filmmaking behind, like the stunt doubles, the the production, the 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 amount of effort they put into these films, the script is very yes. John Wick barely says any words. He's not a very you know, but that's why you cast Keanu Reeves. He's perfect for that. He gives the presence needed, and uh, Keanu Reeves is one of the best guys ever in Hollywood, obviously. That's and uh, Neo, all kinds of roles, but uh. John Wick Chapter 4, yeah, like, I was sitting in the theater, and there's one scene in particular that they, uh, the director even said they got from a video game called Hotline Miami, and it's an overhead scene. And the way the camera, it was one of the movies, the first time in a long time that I watched a movie, and I didn't, and I thought to myself, how did they do that? Like, I was obsessed with how they shot this scene. Like, I was trying to figure out how they shot the scene. I was looking into info on how they did it, because I was like, how did they do that? Like, because it look, it's it's like a camera movement from the ceiling, and it's going from room to room as he takes out these guys, and that's honestly the best action sequence of the year. Yeah, any movie. But I I re and I watched it in theaters with a few friends of mine, and my parents are big John Wick fans, so I bought it and we watched. It. I showed it my parents did at home, and afterwards I was like, it's it's almost it's a two and a half hour movie. I think it's it's the longest in the franchise. And it goes by the fastest in the franchise for me. Like the pacing is incredible. The, like I said, the camera work, the stunt doubles is just amazing. There's actually, yeah. it probably has the most story out of all of them, 
which it still isn't that much because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need that much. That's not what the John Wick franchise is trying to do. It's trying to show off the actions and the stunts. But like after the, like I was so involved with the movie, I was taking deep breaths like after every action scene because like it it just exhausts you. It's such a it's such a ride. It's what movies are made for is to mm-hmm. give that escapism. It's a perfect escapism. Has a great ending. I hope they don't make an, another one. There's talks of them making another one, but the way this one ends, it's perfect ending to the franchise. And uh, just, it made me love, it, it, it re-sparked my love for movies that was kind of dying out at the time. And that, I think that's why it's one of my f- favorites of the years, just because it means so much to me for that. And just, yeah, shout out to all the stunt doubles, because I mean, some of the stunts are insane in this movie. Yeah. Shout out to all the the cameramen, the camera work. There's one scene where he's driving around in Paris, and and it's just insane. I just like, the filmmaking behind this is top notch. But yeah, that's why it's my number four. It just meant a lot to me. The best in the franchise for sure. Best action film of the year for sure. And just epic in every it is epic in every sense of the word. That's the best way I can excite. It's just absolutely epic. Huge accents sequences, great camera work. Yeah. That's, That's what my I'm number. Talking about. Have you seen it, uh John Wick 4, Nick? I have not. The John Wick movies are ones I really need to actually sit down and watch. Yeah. I think I saw the first one. But I'm gonna be honest. Outside of the you know John Wick dog memes, I'm not that well versed in John Wick movies. I have nothing against them. It's just I'm not a big action movie guy, and it's just one of those things. Whatever, like the new ones have come out, like four and all the other ones, I haven't really jumped on the train to go see them. Right. But, so as of now, John Wick, the entire franchise, I really do need to sit down and watch. But everything I've heard about it. The franchise that we're on, the new one, kind of like what Jacob was saying, it's just been positive. I think people know it's just an action movie with action scenes, and that's it. The story is not that deep. But I think there's something, from what I've seen and read about the movies, I think there is something a bit more special about them compared to like the Dwayne, Kevin Hart action movies that were flooding the theaters for a while. Yeah. You know, and I feel like the John Wick movies, I'm trying to think of like another, like, movie i could put on par with um i feel like it's not making fun of the action genre but more like paying tribute homage and all that in my opinion from what i've seen and tunix did this might be kind of a hot take but from what i've seen of john wick and red it kind of gives me the vibe of sucker punch that one Zack snyder movie and I think that's probably because I see that movie as like a tribute to all these other genres. And as and as of right now, I just see John Wick as a tribute to like action movies. So that's why I kind of like put those two on par with each other. But maybe that opinion will change whenever I sit down and watch the movies. Did you like Sucker Punch? Oh, yeah. Like Sucker Punch, it's honestly like I think a lot of people hate Zack Snyder for just really stupid reasons. I think he's just a very like easy scapegoat for bad movies, and I like I don't think Zack Snyder makes like masterpieces or anything, but I definitely feel feel like with Sucker Punch he was trying he was trying to make a good movie. I think it's a really good movie, and 
I don't know, like I like Sucker Punch was a movie I really liked. I felt like it belonged in that whole really edgy gothic action movie subgenre that was really prevalent back in the day, like that and Van Helsing and Underworld. Yeah. And all that. So I mean Sucker Punch is a is a really good movie in my opinion. I, I love Sucker Punch. I owned it on Blu-ray, so I I could definitely attest to it. Uh definitely worth your time to see it at least once. Uh, I also have not seen the John Wick franchise, so I I'm like four movies behind the whole world, and I have absolutely nothing to say except for I see all the hype and I I can appreciate what people have to say about it. So maybe someday I'll probably do like a movie marathon where I can just watch maybe like two John Wick movies at a time, and then uh, I'll finally have something to say about it. So. Yeah, uh, and the, all I gotta add on that is, uh, I mean, John Wick, it, it does. I, I haven't seen Sucker Punch. I'm not a big Zack Snyder fan, but uh, from I don't I don't know about if they're connected or or you know like similar in theme or whatever. But John Wick for sure, it it's a homage to action franchises, but it takes it to another level for me. Like it and Mission Impossible are the two best action franchises of our generation and uh they just uh they just keep going and like the third one was kind of went down a little bit for me but the first two are just like first two are in like my top 100 favorite movies for the longest and this one might be in my top 100 favorite movie of all time because i just love it so much and it uh there is a there's even an artist in here her name is rena sawayama i want to say is her name She's like a pop artist. She had it's like her first acting gig, and she does great in this film. And actually, made me want to check out her music just seeing her in this film. So like, it's actually like giving opportunities to other people. And like Donnie Yen is in this movie, Ooh. and uh, it's just yeah, John Wick Chapter Four, outstanding epic. Definitely, definitely go check it out. Go watch the whole franchise if you haven't, honestly. But yeah, that's all I got to say on that. So number three for Deontay. Number three time, let's see, my number three is we're taking it back to the Spider-Verse, across mm -hmm. the Spider-Verse. So yeah, man, and I used to be such a Miles Morales hater, so that's a little bit of uh, background for, on, on me. Uh, I, and I, I, hated, I hated on it for no reason. When I first found out he exists, it was just like, yeah, that's, that's cool. We got, we got a black Spider-Man now. Um, I, I don't have a huge issue with that, but it's just like we already have awesome black characters in, in comic book uh, movies, comic books in general. And uh, I, I honestly, it, it took a while to, for Miles Morales to grow on me. Uh, once I picked up other media of him, it took me years to, wa to watch the first Into the Spider-Verse uh, movie. And uh, I literally watched Into the Spider-Verse like a month, not, not even a month, like the, the night before Across the Spider-Verse debuted in America in theaters. And then the day right after, I lied. I watched it the same day Across the Spider-Verse dropped and then we went straight to the theaters to watch Across the Spider-Verse. And man, that was a good ass time. Uh, it had me singing a completely different tune about Miles Morales. Uh, of course, I was just hating for no reason. 
I, I have no shame in admitting that. Um, but after like seeing his relationship with his friends and family, uh, he he even became a lucky dog and sparked a romance with Gwen Stacy. And I, I, I really appreciate the way that the writers over at Sony handled this. It's like, why the hell do you guys just don't, why don't you guys just write like this for Morbius and all and all the Venom movies? Like, why, why, why couldn't you go that hard for those movies? Um, I love the writing for this. Uh, I think part of my beef with Miles Morales came from hearing from one of my friends that uh, he watched Peter Parker get killed and had powers at the time that it happened and didn't help him out. But then you watch Into the Spider-Verse and you find out that there's a lot more to it than just that. And it was just like, damn, I really need to start going to see things for myself because people will have your ass going down the wrong path. But man, uh, like Jacob mentioned earlier, all the different Spider-Men that you have to choose from, you can just show them love. Uh, you'll probably have a childhood favorite. Uh it, it, even if you don't have a childhood favorite, you could probably watch the movie and pick from one of the the crew that's that's uh, out in front and center stage right now. And uh, I know for a fact that I've grown up with 2099 Spider-Man and uh, Miguel O'Hara. He was kind of the, the douche antagonist of the movie almost. Uh, the bigger the bigger problem was this guy named this villain named Spot. Uh, which is a real-life Spider-Man villain, and now he has to face off with Miles himself. And the fact that he is so powerful now, it's just like Miles will not be able to take him down on his own. So they built up this team of just Spider-People, and they're, they're about ready to kick some ass into this third and final movie that's coming out this year. So I, I, really, I truly appreciate it. Uh, oh, a uh, real quick shout out, uh, Ben Stewart, uh, Comically Inclined's Fact Checker Extraordinaire and Human Relations Specialist is in the comment section. He says, not not as lucky as Spider-Punk with Gwen. Yeah, that that asshole left his shoes over, his, over her house. And it's just like, well, Miles, what, what you got to say about that, bro? What you got to say about that? He's trying to steal your girl. But uh, I, I I really appreciated this film. This was great animated film. Uh, this was great storytelling. And uh, I could watch this movie and the first movie over and over again and just never get tired of it. Uh, compared to the other, the other three, the remaining three that's on my list, uh, I wanted this movie to be a little bit higher, but the other three just went that much harder. And that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, and I mean, me and Nick, we already kind of talked about our thoughts on the Spider-Verse. So I guess we can just jump into Nick's number three. All right, gentlemen. My number three is the Scott Pilgrim Netflix series that came out earlier this year. So yes, Scott Pilgrim takes off. Whenever it got announced, I think it got announced earlier this year or last year that they were going to do a anime based off the comics with the original voice actors i was intrigued because i watched scott pilgrim a lot when i was in high school i've read the comics and i personally like the comics more than i do the movie itself but um looking whenever the anime dropped 
I had this feeling that they were just basically going like recreate the movie or just recreate like every scene in the like the for the comics and all that. But they took a very different route. They really focused a lot more on the other characters, the exes and Scott's friends instead of Scott himself. Like I'm I'm honestly pretty sure like at least for a few episodes, Scott Pilgrim, despite being the main character, had very little like screen presence. Like he was there, but they were focusing on other aspects of the characters in the story, which I really liked. Like I remember watching the first episode, and yeah, they were recreating some scenes and all that, but it started to, like turn away from the path. And I was really impressed by that. Um, I think my only major complaint I had about after watching it was that the voice acting was not that good and like and i get that the movie came out like in 2013 and all that and i get like a lot of these guys like they're obviously older and all that but there were only a, a couple like i'm pretty sure actually only two voice actors that sounded remotely the same um wallace's voice actor one of the colkin uh, brothers he sounded spot on um, Scott Pilgrim, Michael Sarah, he did not like sound like the original Scott Pilgrim, in my opinion. And but overall, like I think the story was good. The animation was really good. It captured it captured the vibe of the comics, in my opinion. I like that. I did not want the Netflix series to capture the vibe of the of the movie, and it did not do that for me. It captured the vibe of the comics, and overall, I think net, the Scott Pilgrim Netflix. If I had to rake all the major entries in the Scott Pilgrim franchise, including the comics, it goes to comics, the Netflix series, and then the movie. Because I feel like the Netflix series, I'm not going to say answered, but I feel like it might have like done a lot better with some, uh, some of the other aspects that the movie kind of danced around and all that. And earlier, you know, we were talking about honorable mentions and all that. Um, one thing I did whenever the Scott Pilgrim Netflix series was officially announced is I decided to really dig deep into Michael Sarah's other films before Scott Pilgrim. And some really good ones I saw, um, obviously, Juno and Superbad, those are two classics that make up his holy trinity, if you will. But outside of that, um, he has Nick and Nora's infinite playlist which is a really good movie paper heart which is honestly one of his best roles in my opinion um year one and and youth and revolt those are four very good movies that came out between juno and scott pilgrim and i highly recommend everyone to see those four movies especially paper heart i feel like paper heart defines like a lot of, like the whole aesthetic and atmosphere and directing style of indie movies from the early like 2000s 2010s but overall scott pilgrim takes off very good i loved it and i'm i am hoping though that this is the final uh scott pilgrim media entry we have because if 10 years from now or even five years from now i see they're remaking the movie i'm gonna scream and i'm just gonna like bomb i'm just gonna write trash reviews on it yeah oh it takes but scott pilgrim takes off it's definitely worth the binge and i, I highly recommend it to everyone along with those other michael Sarah movies i mentioned 
Yeah, do you feel like Michael Cera is typecasted a lot? I, he, he plays kind of the same dude in a lot of the movies I've seen. Oh, oh yes, 100%. But like mm-hmm. in Paperheart, he, Paperheart's one of those movies where the actors are playing themselves. Like they're not going by like, you know, na- like fictional names or whatever. It's actually themselves. And I'm watching it. I'm watching, I remember watching it and Juno and Youth and Revolt. And I'm like, this is Scott Pilgrim. Like this is literally Scott Pilgrim. Like yeah. you cannot tell me that Scott, that Michael Sarah's character from Scott Pilgrim and Juno are not the same person. So I do feel like Michael Sarah is typecasted a lot, which is very, very unfortunate because I feel like he needs the uncut gems treatment where he gets put in like a very dramatic movie, you know, because I, I, I'm pretty sure even Will Ferrell had his like, Goodwill Hunting moment where he was in a very dramatic movie that wasn't on par with like you know the comedy movies he makes, but yeah, yes, Michael Sarah is a hundred percent typecasted, and I think what really sucks about that is like that only really worked for a while because yeah. now like I'm pretty sure his last major role that I can remember was he voiced Robin in the Lego Batman movies, and that's it. So that's kind of like gives you like a scale of like how he kind of went from like being in all these movies to, you know, kind of like just doing this voice acting. So I'm hoping down the road um, he'll get like a good revival in his career. And I'm hoping that when that revival happens, it's not because he's playing Scott Pilgrim version 15. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Scott Pilgrim is. Uh, one of my favorite films, probably top 100 for me. I love. I remember watching it for the first time, just absolutely loving. I was late to the party though. I, I watched it like in 2019 for the first time, and uh, yeah, I love the movie. And when I saw the series coming out, and I was like, oh, they're they're bringing back the voice acting. That sucks to hear that the voice acting is uh not too good, except for a few exceptions. But uh. I've been meaning to check this out and hearing your review of it. I definitely want to check it out more now and I'll definitely add it to the list because I actually forgot this came out and, uh, but I've been looking forward to it because I do love the original Scott Pilgrim. And as far as Michael Sarah, besides like, I, I mean, he may, he was Alan and Barbie, so maybe he'll get a little more work because he's in one of the biggest movies of the year. Uh, but yeah. And, uh, for sure. Michael Sarah does play the same thing, which is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Super bad. Yeah, Super bad is in my top 10 favorite films of all time. It is my favorite comedy. It's in my top, like of all time. Like it is definitely one of my favorite movies ever. Like I've seen it multiple times. It is my high school experience almost super bad. If I had to pick one movie that's the most relatable to my life, it would be super bad. And I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) I literally like, and this is not like me coining this whatsoever. I've had multiple friends who have watched Superbad come up to me and say, you're literally Evan from Superbad, which is Michael Cera's character from Superbad. I have been, I have been compared to Michael Cera's character from Superbad by multiple people. And like, I, and I rewatched it and I completely get it. Like if I had to pick one character in one movie, that's the most like me is Michael Cera and Superbad. Like that is like, I am literally that person which is hilarious that I, I, I didn't catch it before watching it all those years, but like, yeah, I can see it now, which is, yeah. But yeah, Michael yeah. Sarah, great actor. Yeah. You, you're like a mix of, uh, 
Evan and McLovin. <laughs> I can McLovin. see a little bit of McLovin cool. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got to say about that because I haven't seen it. But yeah, I'm really interested in seeing it. Oh, yeah. So are we doing my number three now? Yes, sir. Jacob's number three. It is. Marty Scorsese's, Mr. Martin Scorsese's himself, Killers of the Flower Moon. Wow, that was perfect timing. I love that. Holy, that was, that was perfect. That 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 just it's just scratching my brain how you just pulled that up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, it's Martin Scorsese, the goat, one of yeah, the goats. Like literally, like it was. I've seen I've seen it twice in theaters now. It's a three and a half drama, and people are saying you know it's very dark. It's very like I wouldn't rewatch that movie. It's very dark. It's very you know depressing, and it is very dark and depressing. And maybe again, maybe this is something I need to talk with a therapist about as as to why I love this dark things because I've seen this movie twice in theaters. But it's a three and a half hour long epic. It is oh man, it is filmmaking mash. Like when I, I'm not even trying to be. Funny, but yeah. Oh, so super bad was your character. Your current character is Michael Sarah, and this is the. I was about to say this is the end. He's great, and this is the end. <laughs> I hate to get off topic here, but yeah, Michael Sarah. If you haven't seen this is the end, go watch this is the end. Michael Sarah is a hilarious man. I, all I, that I, coke I, on his nose, and yeah, I quote him in that movie when they bust in on him, and he's like, "Hey, you want a drink?" <laughs> when he has a little juice box. <laughs> you know what? Such a good scene. I'm not going to be mad that if I'm Michael Sarah and this is the end, I'll take it. I mean, he was, getting, he was getting them women, but uh, yeah, smack Rihanna's butt and got laid the hell out. Yeah, <laughs> but wow, uh, <laughs> back to Killers of the Flower Moon, man. Uh, I don't, I don't want to do the meme, but it is true cinema. Like when I walked out of the theater, I was like, this is cinema, and just seeing him like come on the screen before the movie, I was just like, that's my, that's my freaking man, Martin Scorsese, like. I mean, if if you were, if you're a film student, Martin Scorsese is like your Jesus. Like, he's like, he's up there. He's he's one of the greats. He always will be. Mount Rushmore of filmmakers. Yeah, always. Yeah. Uh, so many great movies I can name off, but yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Great main performance by Leo. Very not typecasted at all. Yeah. He's, like, he's an absolute idiot. <laughs> and, and so like, great. Uh, like. Uh, not, uh, I want to say not typical performance for uh, Leo. Lily Gladstone just won the Golden Globe for best uh, actress in a drama. It, it was best female actor in a drama last night, which highly deserved it. Definitely such a great performance by her. And and she was going to give up acting before this movie, which is insane. And it's just so good to see that she's getting all the love she deserved because she absolutely slayed that role. It just absolutely just nailed it. The pain that woman goes through in the whole movie, it's just, you can see it on her face. She is just so good. It is such a sad tale. Yeah. And I love how it brings up issues in American history that are overlooked. I love that it, I love that like, cause no, I didn't know about this situation at all. Like I didn't, I didn't learn about this in the history class. And the, I even did a podcast on this movie and the two guys I had with uh, Lawson and Mac who were on here, they didn't know about it either before the movie. 
and just the more people I talk to, it's just like nobody really knew about this event. So it's good that Martin Scorsese is shining a light on it and he does it so respectfully. And I, the way he ends it is so respectful to the Native American people. It was a story that needed to be told and it was told in the best way possible. I think it had the best director it could have been. And I mean, just, I mean, I have a whole podcast on it. Just definitely up there for one of the best movies of 2020s so far. So yeah, Pillars of the Fire Moon for me. God, man. That is true American history. And that, that's my number one. So I'll probably cover that a little bit more in depth once we get to it. But. What'd you think about it, Nick? Because you weren't so, on the podcast. So I have not seen the movie yet. I've not seen it. But yeah. but, but I will say, I, okay, so you, you might hate me for this. You're a history bro. Like, well, first off, I, I knew about this event before the movie, way before the movie came out. So, uh, so I knew about the event. I knew what happened before the movie came out. But whenever I went to theaters and I had the chance, I think... I, whenever I went to theaters, I went there and I got out and I saw the sign and all that. I'm like, should I see it? And it was just one of those days where I really didn't want to sit down for like a super long movie, you know. But but honestly, again, after watching Five Nights at Freddy's, I don't think that movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, could beat it at all. Really, because Kill Killers of the Flower Moon might have a lot. Doesn't have Freddy Fazbear. But, but, but honestly... Um, it is a movie that's still on my to-watch list. Again, I do know the history about it. So I am very curious to see how it's all played out. And again, kind of like what Jacob said, everything I've heard about has been respectful that it was more accurate than the exploit and you know, just exploiting what happened, the crimes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I, and honestly, I am really interested in seeing this movie. I do believe Martin Scorsese, he does make very, very good historical movies, but it, I have not seen it yet, And but I do plan to see it in the near future. Yeah, I won't spoil it too much for you, but man, I could really go on a tangent about how much I love that movie. Uh, I, I might be alone in that department to where I, I think it's the best of 2023, but hey, to each his own, and I... I I love going into the theater and coming out with something I didn't have before I went in. So I came out smarter. Uh, I'm also a history buff. So uh, learning more about indigenous people and how they were treated uh, throughout the years of America existing is just like, uh, just more fuel to the fire. And I'm learning everything so history doesn't have to repeat itself. But uh, we still got a lot of work to do in catching up the rest of America with uh, all these things that we don't know about how uh, other tribes of Native Americans were treated, not just in the past with the Trail of Tears incident, but you got the, the stories like this, that bad things that happened to the Osage and then, and, and then other, and other groups. So it's just like, uh, I hope movies like these keep coming. I, I, I really enjoyed this one. I gained a lot out of it and it, Restored my faith in humanity a little bit. Uh, Martin Scorsese, hats off to you. Uh, he said that this movie had a little bit of his family history tied to it, too. I'm not sure what that was about, but, man, I would love to find out. Okay. So it's your number three, Deontay. Let's get hit it. 
Yes, my or wait, is it two? Yeah, or two, two. My yeah. man, it's all good. My number two is almost uh, at the tail end of 2023. It was right in December. It was Godzilla minus one. And I know it made like Jake and uh, Nick's honorable mentions or lower half of their top five, but for me, it's just like I grew up with Godzilla. And this this movie was kind of like go to see something for about damn near three hours long and nothing but subtitles and for it to still keep me awake, still keep me locked in and engaged and uh, play with my emotions. Uh, this is a wild human story about Godzilla. It's almost like a retelling of the very first Godzilla movie. And uh, the way that they handled this is just like humans versus Godzilla. Uh, G, the very first G-Day to ever happen, uh, where he shows up in Japan and he's just wrecking everything. And uh, they're just doing, they're, they have to work together post-World uh, War II just to figure out how to take this thing down. And, it, it, and it, Godzilla's just not happening. So everybody's like safer now. This was more like a redemption arc for the main character. But little did they know, you're going to get some more of uh, old Gajira. So uh, best of luck to you, and God help us all. <laughs> uh, Godzilla Minus One was really hot with critics. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a high score. IGN, uh, all the big-time movie uh, viewers gave it like 9 out of 10. 90 percent uh saturday night nerds we gave it like uh some of us gave it like a 10 out of the 10 and i was like 9.5 uh just because of the length of the movie and some things needed to be cut could have been cut out to make it better and shorter and sweeter but the way that it is right now is just absolutely perfect and we're going into 2024 this february where we get to see it just a strictly monsters movie where Godzilla does like a buddy cop thing with uh, King Kong to take on a bigger threat. So we'll, I, I'm looking forward to that and um, not, nothing but nonstop uh, great Godzilla content since December. And honestly, a little bit before that, because 2023 was kind of Godzilla's year. And then we're starting off 2024 already with a, a straight up monster movie. So. Big, big ups on Toho and everybody involved. Uh, this this movie could have been a little bit higher on my list, uh, but there there was just one film that it just could not top, and that's totally fine with me. Have you, you guys seen Godzilla uh, minus one yet? I know y'all talked about it. Honorable mentions, yeah. right? So let me go. <laughs> yeah, so I so I saw it, and I think my, my my main takeaway from it, first off, amazing movie, loved it, amazing, just creature design. You know, I actually felt threatened when I saw Godzilla on screen. I think one of my issues with Godzilla is I feel like ever since like I, I'm gonna say the '60s. All the way, all the way up to probably like the '90s, he really got turned into a cartoon character. The whole scare value was taken away. He really got turned into like a superhero character, in my opinion. You know, he would fight evil and stuff like that. And if you watch the very first Godzilla movie, 
which I watched a lot as a little kid. He's yeah. straight up horror, like he's a monster. Yeah. He's out to kill people. And it's one of those things where like if you pause it at certain moments, you will see terrifying images of Godzilla. Like I think there's one image of Godzilla where he's just like smiling, but it's so terrifying because like how the suit was made. Yeah. I'm really glad this movie a uh, minus one returned to like the to that root to those roots. I feel like Godzilla minus one really returned like the first movie all the way back in the fifties. Yeah, I really liked how it kind of was a it really returned to the commentary and reflection on post war World War Two um, Japanese society, how they just got the bombs dropped on them, how they were basically just by themselves because America wasn't helping that much. And I think it was just a really good, like, really, in my opinion, it was a throwback movie to what the original Godzilla was, what the original Godzilla was about, the whole scare factor in this. Because when I was watching Minus One, I felt this was a very different Godzilla than the ones we've been seeing in the recent yeah. American movies. Because the, in my opinion, the American Godzilla is a borderline anti-hero. And I feel like the Japanese Godzilla especially in minus one and the first one straight up horror villain like that's their michael myers yeah that's their michael myers so that's what i really liked about minus one how it was really reflecting on japanese society after world war ii but also returning to the horror roots that was very very prevalent in the first godzilla movie so that's my thoughts on godzilla minus one yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Godzilla eat somebody, and he straight up caught a couple bodies in just the first couple minutes of the movie. So it's like, oh, oh man, humans have got their hands full. Uh, ben Stewart says, what's awesome is this movie came out of nowhere. I didn't know anything. I didn't even see a trailer before I went to see it. To see it. I the, the trailer was out for a while. Uh, I, I was sharing it on Facebook and I didn't even watch the trailer my damn self. So I'm like, why do, why am I sharing this so much? And then uh, I'm not looking at it. And then I finally got to see it one time, like just a week before I went to go uh, catch the premiere. And it was like, man, there's so much hype around this movie. And it looks, and the way it looks uh, just through the trailer, was just like wow these guys went above and beyond with this like a lot of practical effects not a whole bunch of cgi uh godzilla really is back to his horror roots and he is murking people he's not like the 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 movie from the 2000 the godzilla movie with matthew broderick with that uh dinosaur that wasn't godzilla but still kind of horrifying looking and terrorizing new york or wherever like that would uh that left a bad taste in my mouth, obviously. Uh even as an adult, I watched the movie and it's like that's not Godzilla at all. And um we we hadn't even made it to the part where he's fighting other monsters to keep the earth balanced yet. And uh minus one just kind of kept the good vibes going and the good reputation for Godzilla, uh as far as movies go. So I I really appreciate that. Um, it's been a while since we all sat down in theaters to go catch the latest G, G movie and they they went above and beyond with it. Yeah. I uh 
I'll I'll just give my history on Godzilla because like I, I've been wanting to talk about this movie on this podcast anyway. Uh, it's an a, this movie I saw this in theaters as well, and uh, I heard a lot of hype behind it. A lot of people talking about it, and I wasn't gonna see it for the longest. I think I saw it like the third weekend it was opened, but uh, yeah, I, I've never been like Godzilla. I've never, I, I, I I don't think I've ever seen the original. I haven't, so I can't say. I haven't seen most of the Godzillas. The only one I can remember was the 1998, the one you're talking about. Yeah. It came out, I think, the year I was born, but I grew up kind of seeing it on TV. And I didn't really care for that one either. Uh, and then I watched the Godzilla 2014. That was my first introduction, was actually the 2014 Godzilla with Gareth Edwards. And uh, I still like that movie, but like America cannot do a Godzilla movie like Japan can whatsoever. Uh, God's like the Godzilla versus Kong, any of those coming up. I'm not near as excited for those movies as, as seeing what Japan does next with Godzilla. Because like after watching this, I want to go back and see like Shin Godzilla that came out like in 2016. Yeah. And I want to go back and revisit like the Japanese ones because I think this was actually the first foreign film I ever saw in theaters, which is crazy because I've seen a lot of foreign films, but I've always seen them at home. And this was the first one I ever saw in theaters. There's actually a lot of people in the theater the night I went, which was good to see. And I was so engaged the whole time. I, I absolutely love this movie. It has it, from what I understand from the previous Godzilla movies, it's not much about the human characters. It's much about the monsters. Mm -hmm. And this one had, a, a lot of people are saying this one has the most human story out of any Godzilla movie. And I don't know if that's true or not, but from the ones I've seen, definitely, even the American ones, this has a better story. Uh Just the, you, you feel for the main character and just like the kamikaze pilot, and like, you know, he feels dishonor and like it really shows that culture and like how it was back then in Japan. And like, just like the, and like Nick was saying, like in the American versions, Godzilla was not scary whatsoever. Like it never intimidated me, never scared me. When I was watching this in theaters, there are a few times where I was like, oh my God, like you yeah. just, it just kind of puts you in that, like you're there and it's like, oh my God, like that would be horrifying and there's some moments where it's just like there's one where he uses his um, breath or whatever and there's just like the sound just cuts out for a second and it was just like damn like like jesus like <sighs> he is such a force in this movie and like there's one scene nick was talking about where he like it looks like he's smiling and it's like and it, you know you think that'd be hokey and funny but it's actually like terrifying the way they shot it yeah the thing about this movie is the guy that made this movie he wrote, directed, produced, he did everything for this movie. The guy, I don't want I the director's name, but he did absolutely everything for this movie. On a $15 million budget, by the way. Ooh. And like, I've seen $200 million. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to attack Marvel, but I'm going to attack Marvel again. <laughs> I've seen a $200 million MCU movie that doesn't look half as good as this movie did. And it was made in $15 million. With the and the guy did everything basically, from what I understand, the director I I forget his name, but he did absolutely everything with this movie: the special effects, the writing, the directing, and that that is a feat. Like I couldn't even like his whole life was probably dedicated to this movie for years and years. And like props to him, props to the actors. Like that's such a great. You cared about the main characters, you cared about the everything that happens to them. And like, I think I gave it like a four out of five. It's an A for me. The only, my only issue with it is, and it's, 
it's a cheap issue and it's like a cheap shot because it is made on 15 million some of the cgi did not look great for me there were some scenes where i was like oh you could have you know but like for 15 million i mean i can't really yeah hit on it much because i mean that's insane what they were able to do with that production value and just such a great story so yeah that's my thoughts on godzilla minus one just a great it's definitely it'd probably be it might be in my post tomorrow on my instagram for my top 10 because like it is yeah like i want to i'd watch it again like it doesn't matter that it's you know because like we have the problem america and me in america where we don't like to watch subtitles you know but once you get over that there's so many great films especially in from asia just like south korea japan just some great films uh from that region and all those areas and uh yeah so godzilla minus one great film definitely great absolutely that's all i had for my number two uh the man nick is up next all right guys so i feel like my number two is actually going to shock shock you guys Uh oh my number two is oppenheimer oppenheimer is not my number one but is my number two and and right off the bat i just want to say i am a major i'm a huge major fan of biopics i love biopics a lot vice the founder some of my favorite movies right there especially vice Mm -hmm. especially vice that was such a good movie but i i do feel like especially with a lot of the musical ones that have come out in the past five years the one about queen the one about elton john you know i feel like there's a lot of tropes associated with them a lot you know types of storytelling that gets stale after a while and but whenever but whenever i saw oppenheimer all those tropes all those um cliche storytelling was blown blown away completely again i remember when i saw the teaser trailer the teaser images for this i was so ready just to see it i was ready to just see this movie because oppenheimer was a figure i knew a lot about going into the movie i did my research on him i remember reading about him and i and but yet at the same time there was stuff i had no idea about until i watched the movie like one thing i did not know was the whole um issues president truman had with him how he called him a big baby yeah that was one thing that kind of took me back but i think the movie again it was visually amazing sound design especially when the bomb drop was incredible i actually want to put on par with what jacob was talking about with godzilla's like you know when whenever he breathed use his mouth in the movie um the sound design was good i liked how accurate it was like in terms of just the characters, but also the time period and all that. I do like how Christopher Nolan went back to like his memento style days and had the whole black and white and the colored story going on too. I really do like that. But I think one thing I really liked about Oppenheimer is it really just made you think a lot about guilt and responsibility and all that. And I'm not trying to get political here, at all i'm not trying to get some i'm not trying to get into the spicy issues i think one thing that you see a lot with history and i feel like especially today is the blaming of certain individuals for you know certain actions like the iraq war vietnam the war on terror stuff like that and i'm not you know condoning 
what happened with those wars. I'm not saying the people who started those wars were good people by any means, but I think Oppenheimer kind of gives you that insight into a character who morally he knew what he what he was doing was wrong. He knew that by making the atomic bomb, he was going to inherently destroy the world sooner or later, in his opinion. He knew he was changing the world. He knew he was literally bringing fire from the gods to man and that no one would understand it. They would abuse it. And if you look at all the stuff that happened after World War II, like all Chernobyl and stuff like that, you can definitely see how that's happening. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, every other week we see headlines talking about how we could be going at war with nuclear weapons. But at the same token, Oppenheimer keeps telling himself what he did was the good thing, the right thing. And I remember I watched it with a friend and we were talking about that. It's because you have to convince yourself you did the right thing there. You have to convince yourself that making the atomic bomb was the right thing no matter what. And, you know, going back to like what I was talking about, like politics and all that, I think you see a lot of that like in Vice or Dick Cheney. He's, he, he's basically telling himself that he did the right thing with the Iraq war. I think a lot, like, I'm really glad the Oppenheimer looked at that. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Oh, so I guess my final thoughts on that is like, this is not the first movie made about Oppenheimer. There's been like, I think TV movies. There's actually one that came out like in the fifties, I believe I might be wrong about that. But I think the one thing that really did impress me was just that whole factor where it was like he knew it was wrong they had to keep telling himself it was right you know mm -hmm. and i feel like that's a that's something that's still super relevant today you know you have these people who morally they might think it's wrong they had to keep telling themselves that what they did was right at the end of the day because you can't undo the atomic bomb you know that's true yeah that whole uh well not really just one scene but like a sequence of like interviews with the about his security clearance with the with those i, I don't I, I can't i don't remember who those people were but they he was basically on trial for his credibility and then the people that were just like asking people closest to him about what what is his relationship with russia and all that and man i I, I kind of felt for him a little bit in those moments, especially when he would sit in the room and he would listen to like at least one or two people flip on him. But there would be like good moments where like even his wife, after what whatever amount of cheating he had done, would sit in that room and she would tell the absolute truth on his behalf as well, hoping he'd win and keep his security clearance and all that. This is moments like that. This like damn. Like the right, the writer really uh, made sure to cross all his T's and dot his eyes with, with these parts of the story. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I'll talk about Oppenheimer in a little bit in a little bit, obviously, but uh, I already did a podcast on it. But I will say, it did last night sweep the Golden Globes for like best director, best male actor in a drama. Supporting uh, actor, yeah, best supporting actor. RDJ yeah. got that. Uh, who else? Oh, best historical drama, best drama, best drama is what it was, and uh, it deserved all that. I'm so happy it sweeped last night. And 
yeah, I'll talk about it more in a little bit. But yeah, Oppenheimer just fall. Christopher Nolan going down in history as another directing legend. My number two is a little film that nobody seems to be talking about ever, and it depresses me sadly. The Holdovers is my number two. Look at this. This film, Alexander Payne, I've seen a few of his films before. I've seen Election, uh, The Descendants. Uh, I still haven't seen Sideways, but I, uh, I've seen like more of his popular ones. And uh, this one, if it wasn't for Oppenheimer, this was number one. This would have been number one. Uh, this is just the ultimate holiday film. It is just like, and uh, it's set around uh, New Year's and Christmas, and it's just basically about these broken people that all come together and like help each other out in different ways. And all three of the main characters, uh, Paul Giamatti, Dominic Sessa, and Divine Joy Randolph, you can relate with all three of them. And actually, Divine Joy Randolph won. Uh, she won Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, she won Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes last night, and. Uh, which she absolutely, it was her first award ever. She absolutely deserves it. She was amazing in this film. This movie is so, I just rewatched it on New Year's Eve. Like, it's on Peacock right now, if you guys uh, have Peacock. Oh. And it's, well. out on, it's out on Blu-ray. I bought it on Blu-ray too, even though it's on streaming. I still bought the Blu-ray because I want to support it because I absolutely love the film. It may be in my top 100 of all time. Like, it is that good. Like, I could rewatch it over and over again. It is so well directed it's shot like it's was made in the 70s the way alexander payne he uses it he uses different film techniques that haven't been used since the 70s really and it goes back to that time period the way he adds the film grain it was added digitally but it looks so good and it's just the filmmaking behind it just the colors are so crisp the soundtrack is amazing all the all the performance across where paul giamatti deserves all the awards for it, Divine Joy Randolph, all of them. It was just like, it's such a great movie around the Christmas, New Year's Eve, and you don't even have to watch it around the time. It is, a, in a way, a Christmas movie and kind of a New Year's movie, but you, you could, the story is relatable through all the times, and it's just about this kid that uh, has a lot of potential, but just, you know, didn't have the best upbringing, and this teacher that's kind of had a rough life, and then this mother that's the head cook of the school that's had a rough life and it's just like all these people have had these rough lives they come together and they kind of just help each other because they're all three stuck here at this boarding school over winter break why everybody else is gone that's why it's called the holdovers because they're holding over and uh they don't want they don't want to be there they at the beginning they don't like each other and then they all come together by the end and they become like a little family in a way and it's just they support each other. They're there with each other. And it just shows why human beings need people. Like, we need friends. We need people in our lives that are important to us. And it just shows that, you know, you can have a rough life, but there's other people out there that have rough lives too. And, like, you can overcome that and you can become something great. And it's just, like, it's such a – and, like, the, the director's even said in interviews, he doesn't want it to be known as a cozy movie. And he doesn't want to be known as like a sentimental movie because it is kind of, it is dark. There is dark themes. It is depressing at times. 
but by the end of it you can't help but smile like it is and it's not really a happy ending either in some it is but what, but what happens for, isn't really a happy thing that most people would agree would if it hap if it happened to them so like just great performances all around a great story probably one of the uh, this this and Oppenheimer best screenplays for me but like oh the dialogue so well written the conversations are so enthralling and just like how it like I said goes back to those old 70s filmmaking techniques and just it films like it feels they make it feel like you're watching a movie on VHS from the 70s and it's just like so well made you, that's really I don't like to talk about it much because I want people to experience it for themselves. Just go if I if there's one thing you get from this podcast from me, definitely watch the holdovers. Like definitely go and watch it, especially. And if not, I mean, we'll watch it next Christmas. It's uh, it's technically a Christmas film, so it works for that. Just a great movie. Just absolutely. I when I came out of the theater, I was like, "This is. We need more independent movies like this." Alexander Payne is a big name, yes, but it's produced by Focus Features. It's more of an independent story, and it just does. It deserves more. It's getting love, but it deserves more than it's gotten. And it's just such a great film. And like, yeah, that's all I gotta say about the holdovers because I want you guys to experience it for yourselves. Because it's such a great story. I just gave the basics, basic synopsis of it. And it's just, I can't say enough good things about it. Just so go much on. wholesomeness. Yes. Have any of you guys seen it? Nah, I tried to. I'm, I'm probably going to catch it on Peacock now. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm, I remember watching the trailer when it came out. And it just gave me the vibe of, like, movies from the 70s right away. Which I, which I know that's the time period it's set in. But this, for some reason, it gave me the vibe of a National Lampoon movie, like Chevy Chase and all that. Maybe it's just the aesthetic value of the trailer, but the holdovers is still on my list of movies I need to see. I, yeah, I will say the trailer doesn't do it justice. With the, the way the trailer, I actually, I agree with you on that. The trailer makes it seem like a completely different movie. Like the trailer, I actually didn't, I actually do not like the trailer. Like I saw the trailer in theaters a few times and I didn't like it. I was like, I'm not even going to watch this movie. But then yeah. I started hearing buzz about it and I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And then I checked it out and yeah, the trailer does not do it justice whatsoever. Man. And real, real quick shout out to Blake Hickman from Comically Inclined. What's good, bro? Thank you for tuning in. What's up? Yeah, we we just made it to our number ones yep. of best number films one. of twenty twenty three, and I guess it starts with me. Yes, sir. Uh, so my number one best film of twenty twenty three, strictly my opinion, and did not win anything at the S and N Awards, unfortunately. Uh, this Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, we were just talking about this earlier. Uh, sweeps the Emmys. Uh, Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro plays a, I wouldn't say, I, I guess you can call him a villain in a sense, but most people don't know that until like halfway through the movie. But uh, they do give you a little bit of background on what's going on with the Osage uh, tribe or the, the Osage nation. 
And they, the movie starts off immediately by telling you things that you don't know about the Osage. In fact, that they're like the wealthiest, I think they're the wealthiest demographic in America at that time. And because uh, a couple a couple of indigenous people struck, I think an oil rig early in the movie. So they just been sitting on bank and um, they were able to kind of live side by side with white people. Um, not exactly peacefully, but they were side by side for a while. And uh, I, there was a lot of marriages that went into uh, with, with the white people that lived in that community in the Osage. And most of it was just planned so that people could get access to the money and uh, the inheritance that would be left behind if they decided to kill their spouse or whoever they needed to. And it's just like, man... American history has always been dark. Uh, I hate to get on like a political soapbox, but I mean, this is this this wasn't even that long ago. I think this was a movie based on like the fifties, and it just like one one um, harsh reminder that even indigenous people, uh, it may not be as as uh, bold and in your face back then as it was with Killers of the Flower Moon uh, today. Uh, but in that time, uh, those guys just didn't give a shit. So <laughs> they're just like, if we need to screw these people over just so our family can have a legacy, then we're going to screw these people. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was kind of like the nephew of Robert De Niro. And those two together kind of just hatched the plan to just do horrible things uh, to his, his own wife, which uh, Lily Gladstone's character to make her sick until the point she finally dies. And with him being her husband, he gets the the, the big ass inheritance that they that she leaves behind. And God, it's such a rabbit hole of all the stuff that you saw in this movie that you can go down. Um, I won't spoil it too heavy for you guys. We did do a whole po podcast on that already. Uh, but man, I, I could watch this movie over and over. Cause it's probably some things that I didn't even see the first time I went. Uh, since it's damn near a three hour long movie, I did eat a bunch of popcorn and catch a phone coma at some points in the movie, but I, I didn't fall asleep because it was boring. It was definitely, it's very informational as it gets. I loved it. I learned so much. I learned just as much from killers as I did Oppenheimer. And it's just like movies that kill ignorance have a special place in my heart. And uh, if, 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 if learning everything that I, I know now about the Osage would make me like a better person when it comes to interacting with indigenous people, uh, then I'm all for it. And uh, I think more directors should look into controversial hi historical moments and keep making movies about it. So Scorsese and Nolan kind of hit the cash cow on that. I know there's a lot of comparisons with... Uh, Scorsese's movie with a lot of Marvel movies because Scorsese kind of got himself into trouble talking shit about Marvel movies. And it, it is what it is. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that Kills of the Flower Moon is incredible. Um, I, honestly, I could watch it again and again. Uh, I could put it on for myself or I could be watching it randomly at a friend's house and I just never get tired of it. Uh, 
movies that just teach me history. Uh, me being a history buff, I cannot say no to it. Um, and it just makes you think, like, where, 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 where else can we go uh, with historical movies, like historical controversial movies that most Americans don't know about? And you can, we, we've seen it in TV shows all the time where you talk uh, the Black Wall Street, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. Uh, but I don't think we've ever gotten like a full length movie about it, like directed with the heavy quality that Nolan and uh, Scorsese put into their films. If we had that type of attention, a lot of people would start waking up to the truth about uh, where we came from in America and uh, where we're headed today if we were if we continue to repeat history. So Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I I paid the 15 bucks on premiere night to catch it, and it turned out to be damn near worth $30 and then some. So it doubled the, doubled the value. Uh, it's definitely a movie worth owning. And in my opinion, just maybe, maybe a hot take, but uh, it's probably Scorsese's best film. And uh, De Niro's, like my favorite De Niro role thus far. And Blake Hickman in the comments says, Scorsese is a great filmmaker. Doesn't like that something else is a success that he doesn't believe in doing. Uh, hold on one second. Oh. He doesn't believe in doing Yeah, Scor Scorsese, uh, he, he feels a certain type of way towards superhero films, apparently. Um, I, I let him have it uh, to each his own. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with a legend about uh, what what superhero films, what their value is to our society, but uh, the, the man kind of earned his way to earn his right to talk shit because he just has a long history of really amazing films. And I, I I wish he would just give Marvel a chance though. <laughs> MCU the MCU has been. Uh, have mixed opinions and di divided audiences, but I, if you were to ask me, I'd say the MCU has been flawless from start to finish, so to where we are today. Maybe that's one, another hot take from me, but I disagree with Scorsese, but I, I, I can't say that I hate Scorsese because this, this, this movie was incredible, and it's just it's just another another really good Scorsese movie. So it's just like, even though I I don't see eye to eye with him about his opinions on superhero films, the man can show up and make a historical film and, and bust his ass doing it. So I'm I, I got to take my hat off to him. He he earned my respect with Killers of the Flower Moon. And, uh, if you guys haven't seen it, that should be one of your higher priorities. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. I had to leave for a second. My mic completely cut out. I'm sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, I was like, oh, hopefully his internet is okay or whatever, his laptop or whatever. So. Yeah, I had to I had to leave, so I, I missed a, a lot of that, but I had to leave in the, uh, my bad. But yeah, I, uh, I, but what, I completely, whatever you said, I probably completely agree, because like, yeah, it's a great movie. It's, it's, so good it's yeah yeah i i i need more films like this like please i, I will say, beg 
it's Scorsese's best for me. I can't say that, but he's made so many masterpieces. This is I still think it's a it's a five out of five A plus for me. I still think it's a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. He just made so many great films. It's just hard for me to say definitively. But yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's probably this and Oppenheimer are the, the most important films of the year. I think honestly. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Just as far as being educated on things and society and what impacts so yeah exactly what do you think nick i know you said a little bit but yeah so well since i haven't seen it yet I'm oh not yeah really you haven't seen it I, I forgot you haven't seen I'm it i'm not gonna add much to the conversation but kind of jumping off some comments and all that i do think we need more historical you know educational movies and all that because there, like there are a lot of very uncomfortable moments in american history you know like like black wall street and all that and i think it would be really good if we got a lot of you know more educational movies that shine light on, on stuff like that or like how the treatment of african americans during world war ii and stuff like that or like even um events as recent as like the la riots and in, in the 90s and all that and stuff like that so but i do firmly believe we do we do need more educational historical movies i think one big reason why they're not being chugged out is they are a very time consuming money um draining type of film like you're gonna have to put in a lot of big bucks for a very good historical epic movie or 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 on the other hand you have the ones that are more um, that, that they're really not loaded with all the facts like The Patriot and movies like that. But I yeah. hope, I am hoping that Oppenheimer and Killers have like opened the door for more historical movies that educate and enlighten people to flood our theaters soon. Yeah, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm, that's true. It's true. Well, I guess, I guess it's a time for my number one. Or do you guys have some more to say? Wolf of Wall See. Street is my favorite Scorsese film, says Blake Hickman. That's a great pick. I like love, I said, I love Wolf you can't really go wrong with a Martin Scorsese. Unless you see Last Temptation of Christ or something like that. Those are a little weird, but yeah. What is your favorite, Nick? Since you haven't seen Killers of Fire Moon, what is your Scorsese film? Honestly, Shark Tales. That, that was pretty good. <laughs> That was Scorsese. Yeah. Oh, all the way. That. that no, he, he, Nick is Nick is lying. He did not direct. Yeah. He, but he does a voice cameo. He's one. I think he's a he's a fish, ain't he? He's he one of the is. Fish. But I'm gonna be honest, and this might be a very basic answer. I'm gonna have to say Taxi Driver, because one Great one answer. thing one thing I respect about Taxi Driver is it really captures the '70s in New York. Because one thing about Killers of the Flower Moon, it's talking about events that happened like the 1920s and 30s. So they're having to re like recreate that time period. And the Goodfellas, it's talking about events that happened, I think, in like the 60s or something like that. So they're having yeah. to like recreate that time period. But with Taxi Driver, it ha it's happening in the now. It's happening in the moment. So all that grittiness is like still there. And that's one thing I like about Taxi Taxi Driver is probably my favorite Scorsese movie. But I, I will openly say I am very 
uneducated on a lot of his movies. I have seen like the main ones, Goodfellas and all that. I have seen some of the historical ones, but he's just he's had such a long, you know, long like like list of films and all that. And looking at some of his films and then looking at Shark Tales, I know which one I'm going to watch. And it's going, <laughs> but 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 yeah, Tax Driver has to be my favorite film by him of all time. I can I can I can rock I, I can rock with that. Mine is between mine's goes back and forth. Mine's Casino, Raging Bull, Shutter Island, and Taxi Driver. It goes between those four. It goes back and forth every other day, honestly. And I'll just, I mean, that's four. Might as well just get my top five. After Hours would be five. I love yeah. it. After Hours is such an underrated Scorsese film. Man. But yeah. But it goes between those for me. But yeah, Taxi Driver, it's the basic answer, yes, but it's also the right answer. It's a uh, epic it's just a classic it's one of the best films ever made probably honestly but yeah yeah i definitely bounce around between killers raging bull and goodfellas uh despite what people may say about goodfellas uh those three they, they just have their own vibe to it and you you know it's a scorsese film without even watching the credits so it's oh i, I forgot about the departed as well oh yeah. Too. yeah i love the departed like Hickman says in the comments, Shutter Island. Yes, exactly, my dude. Exactly. Yeah. Shutter Island, honestly, it was in my top 10 favorite films of all time for the longest. Shutter Island is such an underrated Scorsese. It's so good, man. It's that The atmosphere in that movie is unlike any other. Go watch Shutter Island and After Hours if you haven't. If you're a Scorsese fan, those are his two most underrated films, I think. But yeah. Yeah, man, Leonardo uh, DiCaprio and Scorsese kind of make a dynamic duo at this point. Yeah. So, number one for Nick. Let's All go. Right. Gentlemen, I would have to say, you know, this is probably going to be a hot take. My number oh. one film of 2023 is Napoleon. Oh! I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh. I'm joking. But, but honestly, I think, and... My number one is Beef, the Netflix series. Yeah. And, you know, originally Oppenheimer was going to be my number one. But after, like, watching a few episodes of Beef yesterday and all that, I had to make Beef number one. I love Beef. Like, I really hope there's a second season. I really hope there's a continuation of some sorts. And I think, and there's just so much that draws me into it. Because I remember the night I watched it. It was over the summer. I was at my I was at my house in my hometown. All that I was on Netflix, and I came across Beef. It, it's been popping up in my suggested and all that. So I watched a like little teaser trailer they have. Then I decided to watch the first episode. Then I watched the second episode. Next thing I know, it's four in the morning, and I'm done with the show. And I was just in awe the entire time. I think one thing I liked about Beef was when the cinematography was perfect. Every shot was amazing. The music was beautiful. The soundtrack, like I still listen to songs daily because I I heard them in Beef. Wow. But I think I think one thing I really liked about Beef was it was looking at a culture that I have no like relation to because I really like stuff that looks like other cultures and all that. I really liked how this looked at the Korean American community culture, especially in California, mm -hmm. and. 
after I watched, I was doing a lot of reading on the characters and every character, some people believe represents like different aspects of Korean American culture. Like there's one scene where Isaac mentions how he could have been in the LA riot roof Korean photos. And some people say that represents like at that generation of Koreans who felt like they lost something. And with that, but I just like the, the pacing, the tone, the, the show is definitely funny. It has a lot of funny moments, but it's kind of like what Jacob was saying with the holdovers is there are some sentiment, some sentimental moments, but it's not a feel good show. Every time I rewatch an episode, I feel a little dirty yeah. because you sit and you watch it and you really think about the characters because these are all really relatable characters. And what makes them really relatable is the fact that they are bad people. I feel like one thing a lot of like modern miniseries, TV shows, movies do is they present to you these characters that are so obnoxiously bad. Like in Rick and Morty, every character yeah. is a terrible piece of person. But the thing is, I don't know anyone like Rick. I don't know anyone like Morty. When I look at Beef, I know a ton of people like Danny and Isaac and Amy, you know, because it's one of those shows that balances the perfect aspect of like, you know, being a terrible person, feeling guilty about being a terrible person, wanting to change, but then realizing this is who you are type deal. And I, I mean, I think beef was just probably the best thing I watched last year. Like I still watch an episode of it weekly. I think the, again, just the storytelling is amazing, especially when you go back and rewatch the first episode because it references and hits the so much that's going to happen in the next few episodes. And one thing I liked about it was how like it just kept connecting everything. Because I feel like when a miniseries or a movie makes like all these connections from like point A to point B, it's really forced. I, I never felt like anything in beef was, beef was forced. Because like I remember when I watched Prisoners for the first time, some a lot of people did not like how detective loki figured it out because he got mad and he threw all the stuff off his table or desk or whatever and he looked down and boom everything got connected mentally for him like it was in that moment he figured out like the mystery or whatever but i feel like in beef like everything was just connected perfectly you know because like and it was connected with realistic elements like how amy sets up a spam account to basically like cyber bully Danny, then the brother starts texting her and stuff like that. And I think it's just a very good show. Like it's a great show, probably one of the best TV shows I've seen in a long time. And I think why it beat it like it, like it took the number one spot instead of Oppenheimer is I feel like it just gave, it just gives you a lot of chances for like reflection to look at yourself, to look at your surroundings. Because again, everyone, knows a Danny or an Amy or an Isaac to some extent. Yeah. And I think one thing that separates the like whole guilty factor that's prevalent in both Oppenheimer and Beef is we're never going to be in a position like Oppenheimer was, but we are going to be in positions like Danny and Amy were in the first episode with the road rage. We're going to be in positions where you have to deal with maybe sketchy family members or friends and stuff like that. And that's why, that's one thing I love about Beef. It like, it presents these characters in a very unsympathetic, but sympathetic light. It shows you their flaws and it shows you what's good about them. And I think that's one thing I really love about the show. 
and it is one of those shows where I will openly say, as the episodes went on, I started to hate certain characters more. Like Danny, I, I hate Danny with a passion. Yeah. Especially, I'm not trying to spoil it or anything. I'm not going to spoil it, but especially in the last few episodes, um, he does some terrible, terrible, unforgivable things, in my opinion. Like, he does some terrible, terrible things. Man. But in my opinion, Beef, best show of 2023, the best thing I saw of 2023. And honestly, I'm and honestly, I'm gonna say it, it's it's the best A24 product I've seen so far. It's the best A24 product, but yeah, so those are my top five, and beef is my number one. Well, for as as the A24 connoisseur, the A24 king that is me, and this is <laughs> let's uh, we need to have like a, a new segment where we just have like a we need a graphic that says Jacob's plea to work for A24 because every yeah. episode I do this, and this is this is the episode. This is the uh, this is the part of the episode where I put this in. A24 hire me, please. But anyway, as the A24 connoisseur, I am not mad at that technique whatsoever because the more you talk about beef, I haven't seen beef since shoot when it came out it was like February March 2023 something like that. It came out in like the spring, I want to say. But uh, I watched it when it first came out, and I kind of forgot about it. And that's sad to say, but uh, it's the best series of 2023, easily the best series. Uh, you're completely right on that. I wouldn't be like I don't. I'm not mad at all that you think it's the best A24 thing they've done. Because honestly, I mean, I can see it. It is so. And the more you talk about it, the more I started to remember it. That's why I was sitting there, kind of shaking my head, because like the more you talked about it, you were like sparking my memory on it. That I I, I kind of want to go back and rewatch it now after you talked about it. It is it is I could see why you watch an episode every week. It is so good. It is, and like like you said, like we're in the same boat. We can't relate with the Korean Americans, obviously, because we're both white men. But like, it you can still relate to those characters. Like it, it's telling, it's giving you information on this community, but you're also able to relate and see yourself in those characters. Like I or other people. And like, mm -hmm. literally, like, you're right. Like, I remember watching the show. I was like, I know so many people like Danny, so many people like Amy, so many people like his his brother. Is his brother Isaac? Uh, his brother is Paul. Isaac is Paul. their cousin. Yes. I've seen people like his brother. I know people like his brother Paul. Even like, like I've I've seen people like yeah. that. And like, it is like the last few episodes. I remember just being like completely just dumbfounded like the last episode man like and i love how it goes from just it starts with just a little road rage incident that you think is nothing yeah and it unravels the, the whole series it just unravels and it also shows how fragile our how fragile our environments are like just that one road, road rage incident literally took these two people off and and parts of their family into the whole another path of life and it shows just how fragile somebody's environment is and how how we grow up and like how our parents treated us how we grow up the environments we we're in how they shape us mm -hmm. and like just like little things like that can just set people off and you'll never be the same just off a little like it shows how fragile everything is in a way too which i really liked 
And it also, it makes you reflect. It does. It does make you reflect on your life. And like, it made me reflect on like things I've done in the past that maybe not been good. And like, made it kind of makes you want to be a better person. And like, I get what you say about feeling dirty after the episodes. Because some of them you're like, yo, man. But then you can, <laughs> relate, you can relate to it at the same time. You're like, oh, I've been in situations like that. And then you're like, oh my God, I feel bad for being in situations like that. And it's yeah. like, it's such a reflective series. And... I'm so glad you brought it up and I'm glad we gave you the pass of having a series on your list, two series on your list, mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have been able to talk about this any other time. And I'm so happy that we're talking about beef right now because yeah, best series of 2023, what you said about the soundtrack. Absolutely. There's a song on there. I don't know the name of the artist. Is, I think it's, is it Bjork? Is that the artist? Oh name? yeah. Um, I, yeah. I'm trying to remember we, the name of the song. You know that it's yes. like always love or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know yeah, they, I, they play it when they're driving at night when he's taking her to the one. I don't want to spoil too much, but when he's driving her, I want to yes, say yes, yeah, that one. I'm. I think it's Tom York. I believe I might be wrong. I thought it was but, Bjork, like the musician. Oh, Bjork. Oh, yeah. I, I believe it is. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the song, but I know what scene you're talking about. Like I can picture it in my head. Yeah, I watched that scene, and I literally would drive at night listening to that song because of the, because of the series. Like, I I have that song downloaded. I don't listen to music like that at all. Like, I, that is not that music is not in my that type of genre of music is not in my wheelhouse whatsoever. But I love that song just because it reminds me of the show. I think so. Like, good. it is it is so like it is so good. Like, that is such a great like beef. That's just like Nick is the hot take master. I know. But for once, I'm just like, Nick, you just knocked it out of the park with your number one. Because the more I think about it, gosh dang, that is such a great series. So, yeah. I've heard a lot of hype about Beef, too. It's just like, man, I, I'm i halfway through with it. And I might, because of what you and Nick are saying tonight, I might just finish it. Go ahead and finish the series tonight. Uh, I'm, and I'm kind of excited about it. The series really ends on, on that uh, kind of note. So, it's... My friends have hyped it up in the Facebook group, and it's just like, yeah, it's one of the few live action shows I got left on Netflix. So once I finish that, I actually be able to come into my own opinions about it. And I'm sure, like from the first three episodes I've seen so far, that it's going to continue being great content. So I, I'm I'm not too worried about that. And like both the actors, uh, Stephen, is it Stephen Yun? Is yeah, this? yeah, yeah. And, uh, Ali Wong, uh, they both won best uh, best act, best female actor and best male actor in a TV series last night at the Golden Globes as well. I know I keep bringing up the Golden Globes, it's just because I watched it last night. But they actually they won and they completely deserved it. Both of them are great. Yeah, Danny, like you want to root at the beginning, you root for him for a little bit, or at least I did, and then you're just like, oh my god, like. But then like they're so perfect for each other at the same time. But they're both yeah. like it's just like you don't like them, but you. You you can see parts of yourself in them. It's it's, it's just so 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 written so well. Oh yeah, yeah. no, and I, I just a few more quick notes about beef before we move on to Jacobs. On uh, number one is beef was basically my version of how Jacob, how you mentioned that John Wick got you back into filmmaking and all that gave you hope. Beef gave me hope, and ever since then I've been trying to like basically write my own version of beef you know kind of like get back to the screenwriting yeah. and all that but beef also 
I put beef in a category, a very niche category of TV shows about terrible people set in California that I love watching. It's yeah. beef and it's two and a half men and it's Bojack Horseman. Those shows are honestly my comfort shows. I will put them on. I'll turn them up so I can hear them wherever I am in my apartment. Yeah. And they're about terrible people, but I love them. I love them so much. Gotta have that guilty pleasure, man. Beef, go watch beef. I definitely will. It's right after this podcast. Anybody watching this, go. It's on. Everybody has a Netflix account nowadays, so mm-hmm. go watch. Go watch beef. Go watch. Yeah. What? I can't even believe I forgot about it. Because like now that Nick was talking about it, he just like resparked my love for it all of a sudden. I'm just like, oh my god, that show was a masterpiece. You're right. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, I guess we're at my number one. It's no surprise. I'm the Nolan fanboy. So, I mean, what else but Oppenheimer? What else? Wow. There's the beautiful man, Killian Murphy, right there. The beast. Sweep the Golden Globes last night. Let's go. Hopefully, Oscars is well coming up. If not, who cares? Oscars suck anyway. But anyway, Oppenheimer. Masterpiece of a film. Top 50 favorite films of all time. Yes, I said that top fifty favorite films of all time, and let and I and I will say this: I have seen many, many films. I've watched probably five times the amount of films. I think everybody, all of us here, have watched five times the amount of films that a normal person watches, because that's our whole thing. But like yeah. top fifty, and like that's crazy. Like I've never okay, twenty twenty two, I had that happen, but like back to back years, I've had that happen now, where like something made it in my top 50 that's th- this new and like it completely deserves it i didn't know i knew nothing about oppenheimer before this i i, I knew the name of course and the manhattan project obviously you learn about that in school but you don't know about the person and you know he's such a morally gray character because at the same time there's that scene where he says you know if we make this and they set it off they won't want to set it off again and I mean, in a way, there hasn't been, cross your fingers, there hasn't been a nuclear explosion since we said it, since America used it twice on Japan. But like, and he, but he, like, I feel like, it's like, you want to be like, well, I mean, it's, it, America used them, you know, they kind of drove off with his baby, but at the same time, he also knew the implications. So such a morally great character. Albert Einstein, Robert Downey Jr., best supporting actor. My God, Emily Blunt. That scene where she just flips when she's being interviewed. Yeah. In when Robert Downey Jr. tries to embarrass Oppenheimer, his character uh, Louis Strauss uh, tries to embarrass Oppenheimer. His wife just comes in and saves him, even after all that. And it's just like, wow! Like, there's so much good acting in that film and the script i think christopher nolan wrote it actually it's written and directed by nolan which he doesn't i I don't want to say he does it all the time i don't want to i don't want to be corrected on that i know he's did it in his early years so this is kind of him back to his early years because i know his brother wrote some of his movies but uh this is kind of like back to his early years where he wrote this film because this actually this movie came about when robert pattinson gave him that book on the set of tenant like because there's a line in tenant about oppenheimer when they're talking about the device or whatever in tenant 
And Robert Pattinson gave him uh, that book. I forgot what the book is called. Uh, but uh, he gave him the no one. The book is like a gift, rap, like a rap party gift. And that's what set no one on this path to making this film. And like after the movie, I wanted I don't I don't read books at all. I'm not a book guy. I haven't read a book since high school. And like I wanted to read it. Like I I went to Barnes and Noble and almost bought it like 60 times probably. Like yeah. that's exaggerating, obviously. But like <laughs> I, I wanted to read the book because like I love this movie so much. I've never had a movie where both times I watched it after the movie, I sat there and I looked, I literally stared at my shoes for like 10 minutes. With my like, just sat down staring at the floor in shock for ten minutes. Even on the even on the rewatch, and yeah. that sounds so pretentious and so cheesy, but it's true. It, it literally did that to me. Like it made me feel shocked. Like I felt, I literally thought of every bad thing I did in my life at that one moment. It was like, you, you know, those memes where it's like a, uh, you like see your whole life in front of your eyes, and it's like those memes where it shows like a bunch of crazy stuff. Yeah, one of those things that happened to me where it's just like I just saw everything I did and I was like, oh my god, like it's such a good story. It's a great story about American history, obviously, but it's it goes deeper than that. It's about human guilt. It's about feeling ashamed. It's about uh, guilt and what that does to you. And like, of course, nobody's going to be on that. We're not going to be on that level. Like Nick said, we can relate more to beef than we can Oppenheimer, definitely. But like, you know. We all have created things, not an atom bomb, obviously, but like on a much smaller scale, we have created things that have created terrible, like have had terrible outcomes. And like because of us and what we knew, you know, we were doing wrong, but we still, you know, thought we were doing the right thing at the same time. And there's such a morally gray thing there. And it's just like you just wrap your brain. You just want to think about it and wrap your brain around it about like guilt and I literally sat there and like I said stared at my shoes for like 10-15 minutes just feeling like complete guilt and another shock and like I knew it was terrible before but like after watching Oppenheimer I was like what did we do like back then like how awful were like it just made you think how it made again like Cures of the Flower Moon it showed you how awful America really was back in like you know people like let's go back to the good old days there really was never good old days none <laughs> There really was never any good old days. And like God. the government, and it just shows how messed up the government was and how like they basically scapegoated him. They used him as this. I mean, yeah, he helped create it, but it's not just him that's guilty. It's the, all these people. And like, because, but because he was so blase with like how he did the project that created the cold war and like all that, that came after it's like, there's, it's such a huge ripple effect that this one guy had on the entire world. He changed the world forever. And it had a ripple effect that we're still dealing with to today. Like Nick said, every other week we're seeing something about a nuclear war, atomic or whatever, you know? So it's just like, it's still relevant to this day. And it shook me to my core both times I watched it in theaters. And I've never had a movie do that in theaters. I maybe ever, I can't remember. I can't think of a movie I've seen in theaters that made me like, feel like that like like damn like that guilty and like shook shake me to that core to my core like that and like every time i tell people about that i feel like i'm like oh you're just like overreacting or you're hyping it up or you're being uh metaphorical or you're being uh whatever dramatic yeah, yeah over dramatic and but i'm not like it literally shook like both times i'm telling you like 
I, I had a friend that was with me the first time and I was I was looking at my shoes and he was like, are you okay, man? He was like, he, was, he thought like I, he thought I was about to pass out. Like he was like, what is going on with you? Cause like, I don't know what it did to me. I don't know if it was the, how the story was told or what it just shook me to my, like, it made me question my existence. Like I was just like, it was that it was existential for me. It really was. Mm -hmm. And like, this and let's just the score Ludwig Granson, yeah, beautiful score, great score. Killian Murphy, best actor, call it right now. He deserves it. Uh, best director Christopher Nolan. It's a masterpiece. It's one of no. It's a top five Nolan film. It's and Nolan's made many. He's my favorite director of all time. I'm a Nolan fanboy for life. And uh, yeah. Oppenheimer. Uh, that's all I'm gonna say because I've said I, we did a podcast on it, so I probably talked way too much about it then. I talked way too much about it now, but I can't stress enough how much I love that Oppenheimer, how much I love that movie. So yeah, that's by by far and away it was gonna be number one. I, I couldn't see anything topping it. Holdovers was the only thing that came anywhere close, and it was still kind of off the mark. So like, yeah, yeah Oppenheimer, best film of 2023 for me. We all walked out that theater, better people, smarter people too. So it makes you reflect. It really does. I mean, obviously not on that scale, but like it makes you think about your decisions in life and how your decisions can affect others. And like it goes so it goes speaks to like the subconscious human nature. Like it, it really does. Like it it speaks to your subconscious in a way, or at least it did for me. And like, yeah, I just yeah. Masterpiece. Yeah. Robert J. Oppenheimer was always kind of like a brutally honest dude. Like he he would keep secrets, but he wouldn't like lie to people. And I I I respected that about him. Uh, he did he was kind of savage. Uh, there has been some one-liners in a movie where he somebody would say something to him, and he would just clap back, and it was just like, damn, Oppenheimer's kind of a he, <laughs> he's kind of a tiger, man. You don't you know that's not a guy you can play with, and. One guy who got humiliated by him decided it's like, you know what? I'm going to ruin his credibility. I'm going to get his security uh, clearance taken away and whatever else that comes with that. And somehow Oppenheimer came out on top. So I was like, good for him. Uh, but yeah, stop cheating on your beautiful wife. I know Florence Pug is hot, but Emily Blunt is just as hot. So uh, behave yourself. Have a little bit of moral morality well well i guess my final thing i will say about oppenheimer because again we had our podcast about it and we we've covered it a lot on this episode alone is i feel like there's a lot of people who should be labeled like some of the most evil worst people in american history and all that and i will openly say minus that one old man that the entire security council, the lawyer and all the other people, except that one old man who voted no, um, I believe that they are some of the most evil people in America's history because they openly knew what they were doing was a sham. They know what they were doing was because of a very vengeful man and they still did it anyway. And quite frankly, they ruined his life because of that. So that that's my final take I have to say about Oppenheimer. Yeah, screw those dudes. 
And how great is it though that a three-hour epic that's based on historical that's based on a book written by Christopher Nolan, based on historical events, obviously too, but he he based it off of one book, uh, is one of the highest-grossing films of twenty twenty of the of the past year. Like that is insane. Like a three-hour epic, and people came and supported it, and like that's just that's amazing that that happened. Like. I would have never thought a movie that cuts back and forth, black and white, a Christopher Nolan, like Christopher Nolan brings people to the theater. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. a three hour epic about the often about a guy, just a, just a scientist, but arguably one of the probably arguably one of the, maybe the most important people in history, if you think about it, but like that yeah, made that much money and people from all types of, uh, film fans watched it, which is just amazing. So yeah, just amazing that that happened this year. Yeah, this I hope Christopher year. Nolan does a Henry Ford movie. That's going to be interesting. A Henry <laughs> Ford. Yeah, that would be really awesome. That'd be cool. Whew, that man is constantly into more historical things. I feel like mm. I actually want to see him do a horror film next. Honestly. But if if he does that and he pulls it off, he's the god of directors. I can only imagine a Christopher Nolan horror film. Like I think about that, and I'm just like, that could be the greatest horror film ever made. Like if he yeah. like, if, I whew. honestly like I feel like if Christopher Nolan did a horror movie that looked at the influences of like several famous movie monsters, like how Vlad the Impaler inspired Dracula and stuff like that. I feel like, because it's still has that historical aspect, I feel like that would be such a good movie if he did that. I could, ooh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I could, I could rock with that for sure. Vlad the Impaler, especially everything that we know about him so far, but we get to like get more detail about it, like his day-to-day life and like major events. That would be pretty awesome. It, it's kind of sad because we had that opportunity with Napoleon and Napoleon just could have been the third move, the third historical movie that kicked the box off his ass. And most disappointing movie of 2023 for me. Yeah, you imagine if Napoleon would have succeeded and it actually did the right thing with tell how they told the story. Yeah. Oh. God. I I forget about Napoleon. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, maybe someday another director will come along and say, "I'm going to do Napoleon right." Like I said, that I sent you all that Kubrick video, man. Which apparently Spielberg is taking that. Apparently, it's in production. I heard, Ooh. but it's a series. On it's going to be a series. If it's like kind of like a live action series, like someone's playing the role of Napoleon, or is it just like a docu series? It's going to be a live action. Like it's going to be basically his movie script, but it's going to be stretched out into a series. Spielberg is produced. It's it's rumored to be in produced, being in production right now by Spielberg. But Spielberg and Kubrick are two very different filmmakers. And last time Spielberg did a Kubrick project was the AI, and I haven't seen that movie, but I haven't heard great things about that movie. So that kind of worries me. So we'll see about that. Yeah. That's all yeah. I have for Oppenheimer. 
I mean, that's that, that was our top five of 2023. We gave our honorable mentions. We talked about all the movies and, I mean, in depth. I mean, we've had podcasts on a few of these before, so you can go watch the old podcasts if you want even more in depth thoughts on Oppenheimer, Kills of the Flower Moon, Across the Spider Verse, and yeah, because I didn't really go in depth on the holdovers or John Wick Chapter Four was before this podcast. So. <clears throat> Yeah, and then, of course, like Beef and the Scott Pilgrim series and uh, the Boogeyman and stuff like that. I, I We touched on the Boogeyman and the Across the Spider-Verse podcast, but, like, other than that, you know, I mean, it's been, it, was a, it, was, it was a good year for movies, guys. It was, I think 2023 was better than 2022, honestly. Hands down. Yeah, and I got the list right here of everything that's dropping in 2024. So we're we're in for another wild action-packed box office year. So I say to end this, we we uh give one of our most or our most if you have it, but if you uh, just know one, what what's one of your most anticipated of 2024 coming out? Um uh, starting with me, uh, 2024. I know Kingdom of Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, that's there for me for sure. The the Ghostbusters movie and the Godzilla and Kong movie. Actually, the Dune. I forgot Dune Two is dropping. Jesus, oh, that's four. It, uh, the, the, the Deadpool's coming, and I think that's about it. That those are going to be like the four big ones, and they're all like between. March, April, and May, with Deadpool being in July. So th this year is going to be pretty impressive. That's just the first half. What about you, Nicholas? I think for me, I'm really excited for Deadpool, Ghostbusters, but I am really excited for Joker 2 to come oh, out yeah. in October. I feel like that that's going to be a movie right there because it's going to be expanding into the lore and all that. So as of right now, I'm excited for those three. I'm also excited um, for If, that one Ryan, Ryan Reynolds imaginary friends movie. That So right now, those are my um, films I'm really looking forward to. Mine would be uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, love that. Love the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. I love the original too. Uh, mm -hmm. I even like the Tim Burton one in the early 2000s. I grew up on that one. But uh, that I've, I'm always a Planet of the Apes guy. And uh, then we got Gladiator 2. Yeah. Gladiator's in my top 50 favorite films of all time. So a sequel with Denzel Washington as the villain, Paul Mescal from uh, After Sun and Normal People being the, I think he's the. Not the son of Maximus, obviously, but uh, the Grant. No, I forgot what he. I forgot he's somehow connected to Maximus. I don't know how, but yeah, uh, he's playing the main character in that movie. So I mean, just a great cast. The only thing that worries me about that movie is Ridley Scott is directing it, and I mean, he did direct the first Gladiator, so yeah. But like Ridley Scott back in two thousand and Ridley Scott now is two different people, obviously. <laughs> so, like, that worries me. So that one's a little iffy. Dune Part 2, of course. Love the first Dune. Denis Villeneuve's mm -hmm. top five favorite filmmaker for me. And then, but my favorite, 
this is going to be shocking because I'm more of an indie historical guy, or it seems like I'm more of an indie guy to most people I come off as, I think. But I am excited for the action film, The Fall Guy, directed by David Leach, starring Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. That's my most most anticipated movie of 2024 by far. I've seen the trailer a few times in theaters. I didn't even know it was coming out until I saw the trailer in theaters. It's directed by, uh, I said, David Leach. I think he, he, I think he did this. Did he, he directed, he did something with Deadpool and he did something with John Wick too, I know. But, so he has, he has an action background. I think he did the stunts for John Wick and I think he directed one of the Deadpools or did the stunts for one of the Deadpools. And he may have directed one of the John Wicks actually. So yeah. And he's directing the Fall Guy, which is about a stuntman that has to save, basically becomes an undercover spy in a way, but he's just a Hollywood stuntman. And I mean, yeah. Ryan Gosling is perfect for that because he played a Hollywood stuntman in the movie Drive, which is in my top five favorite films of all time. So him going back to playing a Hollywood stuntman, Emily Blunt is his love interest, directed by an action, a guy that knows action. Like, come on, dude. That's I that I am so excited for the Fall Guy. <laughs> that's gonna be a fun episode of JFP. Yeah, that's that. I'll definitely be doing an episode on that. That's but those are my those those are my four for sure. That if sounds good. I don't know. Ryan Reynolds, he, uh, I forgot what else y'all said. Deadpool 3, of course, but again, Marvel's getting me for me. And then, uh, what else is there? I think that was about it. But yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. It could be, I don't think it'll be, but I don't, I don't think it'll top this year, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We, we got some potential, uh, when I saw the list for 2023, I was just like, man, I don't know if these movies are going to do it, do it or not. And then I, uh, I messed around and found out. It took it. It was a slow start. 2023 was a slow start. It started mm-hmm. slow for me, I think. Yeah. And then and, Oppenheimer and Barbie came out and it was game over. Yeah. Because before that, it was Guardian. I, well, I liked Air and Guardians Volume 3 and Across the Spider-Verse and John Wick had already been out, but like it kind of kicked into like, oh, this is a great year for movies once Oppenheimer and Barbie came out and then Killers and then uh, Holdovers and Ferrari and The Killer and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, gentlemen, I have had fun tonight. I'm glad we got we were able to meet up for our first episode like this. I'm really excited to see what the future is going to hold this year, the movies and the podcasts and all that. I just yeah. want to tell you guys have a good night, and I will see you guys soon. Yes, see you sir. soon. You guys take it easy. All right, bro. Catch you at the next episode, hopefully. Hot Take Master Nick has left the building. Yes, sir. Yeah, so. We, we, we definitely covered everything, so we'll, we'll probably be headed out next. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I have to add is tomorrow I shall, I should be – tomorrow or Wednesday I'll be posting the top ten of the year. So you'll see. I'm not going to give any in-depth thoughts. It's just going to be one through ten. It's not going to be anything. Uh, so yeah, look out for that post on my Instagram, Jacob's Film Perspectives. And, yeah, I've been doing reels on Instagram now. If you guys – haven't watched. Uh, I just started last week with Ferrari, and I did it this past Saturday with Night Swim. I'm gonna do that for like 
movies I know that we're not really going to do a video on. And I'll probably do a movie we'll do a video on too because they're just like 40 to 50, 40 seconds to a minute, just quick thoughts. I don't really go in depth. I don't really say much about anything. So it's just my out of theater reaction. I've started doing on, on uh, you can find me on TikTok, Jacob's Film Perspectives, everywhere. Jacob's Film Perspectives, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube Shorts, even uh, even on YouTube now with the reels. And they're just short. They're going to be a minute long or try to be a minute of just me out of theater reactions. Just like literally in the theater parking lot, just giving my first off the dome thought. So yeah, that's all I have to plug really. And be looked out for the next episode of uh, Jacob's Film Perspectives. I don't know what it'll be. I, I don't really have a thing, but I, if, hopefully it'll be something, a good movie, hopefully. Uh, we just had, I just had the list in my hand too. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be at least one. Um, January is kind of a dead zone for the movies, so it's yeah. January fifth was Night Swim, and if you are already done Night Swim, so Night Swim, we couldn't. I don't think we could hold an episode on. Honestly, I gave yeah. my. It's one of those quick thoughts where it's just like, yeah. So the way things are, we got two. Well, we got one superhero movie in February, and then Dune in March. Then actually, March, April, and May are going to be pretty action packed this year. So, all right. So, yeah, we may. I'll figure out something. If I can't find a new movie, I may figure out something to do on like a classic or something. Because we did yeah. that one before with when when uh, William Friedkin died. We did like a William Friedkin tribute. Maybe do something like that next. Since uh, it's going to be kind of dead here for the next few months. But uh, yeah, that's all that's I got to plug. You got to plug anything? Oh, uh, tomorrow we do have uh, the weekly anime review with Kimpachi Zaraki. Uh, that'll be at 2 p.m. Central. So the announcements will be posted right after this stream is over. And then all the details you need will be in it. So we're talking about all the upcoming anime. Uh, that's going to be that's currently being broadcasted in the winter 2024 season. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we're going live from the same YouTube channel. Uh, so you, you guys, as long as you like and subscribe, you won't be you you won't be missing the notification when when we go go live. So yeah, and like I'll just last thing before we go say bye here. I'll just add that. Uh, 2023 was a great year with the Saturday Night Nerds Network. I'm so thankful and blessed that uh, they put me on with the podcast. And, like, I didn't even think I'd be doing a podcast. And then here we are, episode nine. And it's all credit to you guys at Saturday Night Nerds Network. And if if you guys are watching, which I don't think you'd be watching for me, I think you're coming from the Saturday Night Nerds side. <laughs> but if you are watching for me, I feel sorry for you. But I'm sorry <laughs> for my heart. But if you are... Definitely go subscribe to them. Watch all of their weekly stuff. The animes, uh, as it, how do you pronounce it? The Moogie Wire Monday. Oh, Moogie Wire, Moogie Wire, yeah. Mugiwara yeah, watch, Mondays. Watch that. The new anime reviews they do, and then of course their main show, obviously, which y'all probably already know about. But like, if you haven't, go subscribe to this channel. Follow them on everything you can, and uh. Because they're everywhere. They have a link. There's they have a link tree. So I don't have yeah. a link. But uh, 
I'm I'm a part of their link tree. I feel like so that's yeah. a lot of matters. So uh, <laughs> yeah, just like can't thank y'all enough for everything y'all have done for me this year, and uh, all the credit to y'all, you and Will and everybody, Cameron, even you know Blake at Comically Inclined, uh, wanting me to get, get I'll get on the show eventually, man. I will. I just had so much going on. I'll eventually be on Com Comically Inclined with y'all, but like. Just I just appreciate everything y'all have done. For, I don't I haven't been able to show it enough, and I want to show the appreciation. Y'all are just great people. I'm glad I've gotten to know you over the last year. Love the group chat comments. I love the talks, and just so excited to see what this podcast and what the future holds with the Saturday Night Nerds Network. So yeah. Yes, sir, man. We thank you, man. This is an awesome stream, man. Episode nine was incredible. It was an epic one. Yes, sir. All right. Peace out, y'all. You guys, thank you for tuning in, and we will catch y'all next time.